0: This is the Matt Townsend Show.
1: Your guide on the side.
0: Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter.
1: At Dr. Matt Show.
0: Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU.
1: This is the Matt Townsend Show.
2: Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio.
1: BYU Radio.
3: Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the program. Dr. Matt here along with Jeffrey Liam Simpson and Terry Smith. Terry, I mean, what did I just call you? Excuse me? Smith? I was just trying to think of your middle name. Yeah. What is it? I don't know. At least he didn't say Terry Upton. Terry Upton Ogden. <laughs> Terry Upton Orem Ogden Smith. South. Welcome to the program, folks. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. Terry is not going to give us his middle name, so we're going to make one up. Okay, go ahead. Lester.
4: Mm, no. Terry Sinclair. We've talked about it before. Um, I think it's O. It's a very, normal. Terry. It's a very normal name. Terry o. 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 South. It's William. Oh. See? That's
5: not fun. See,
3: Billy, told you. Billy Boy. We got, uh, we got a lot to talk about. Uh, boy. Where did my story go? Baseball game. World Series. Astros win their first World Series. Tepid response there. Hmm, interesting. How did we get
4: such a tepid response? That's a great feat. Sure. They've conquered. That was people actually clapping with their feet. They were a public embarrassment. What was
5: it like 10 years ago? Yeah. They had like the
4: worst record Didn't possible. They lose and...
5: two times they lost
4: 100 games yeah. in a row. It was embarrassing. No, I'm 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 actually happy for them. I I was just glad that it went to game 7, although I wish it would have been more of an exciting game. It was over after an inning and a half. Yeah, yeah I turned it crazy. on it
5: was 5 nothing of
3: went,
4: Huh? Yeah, that was it. That's but then I was
3: waiting for the bats to get like that told right. me that bats never
4: happened. Get Bats didn't get hot. Act, and, you know, once again, the team that had more hits did not win the game. Yeah, yeah at one point they had eight eight runners left on base. Yeah,
5: it was Kyle, more than that, I think, in the end. went higher in the end, but that was when that they were 5 crazy. nothing. I'm like, they left eight guys out. See, that's in.
3: why great pitching isn't always as fun. You kind of want some average pitching once in a while.
4: Yeah, after the first inning and two-thirds, it was just a pitcher's duel. Mm-hmm. But by then, yeah. the damage had been done. Yeah, there's a similar... Comment people
5: make about football when they say it's a defensive battle. Yeah, boring. It sounds like code to me, like the offense a, can't complete a pass. Yeah, you know? <laughs> it's a great example. It's a great example. Uh, hey,
3: speaking of offense, President uh, Trump is on the offense. Or is he offensive?
6: Mm hmm. Okay.
3: Uh, Wrong. But he wants the death penalty for the terror suspect. He says it in a meeting, and it almost seems like he's the king saying, off with his head. But, well, yeah. But no. then there's a Justice Department, except mm. apparently he also made another comment that our Justice Department is, is kind of the laughing stock.
5: Well, he said, uh, people are saying. Oh, Yeah. okay. So he didn't say it. He just said, people are saying. Basically. It. And then, the, <laughs> then afterwards, a reporter asked Sarah Huckabee Sanders, yeah. they've dropped the Huckabee part. So Sarah Sanders, um, in the press conference, about the president says it's a joke. And she goes, no, no, no. He said, people are saying. Yeah, or something of that effect. So he—it's not a direct he's quote. His way, he's, yeah. he's telling you what he's hearing from other sources, man. Which really? is him. That's kind
4: of a safe statement to make, though. That's you how he say, always does it. You yeah, people are saying. Odds are at least one person is saying that. It's, well, how, yeah. it's how Ted Cruz's father was involved in
5: the uh, JFK assassination. Yeah, some people and say. And some people say. I just I've read things and heard things and <laughs>
4: reports are. It's like
5: you're the one that originated the first time anyone ever spoke of that. Yeah. I think
4: the the people in his mind are saying it. No, oh, that's a lot of. It's his echo chamber. But he, but he's on it. I mean
3: he's he's on it. Uh, CNN it's made a big something. deal about um, how quickly he responded to the New York. City uh, terror attack recently versus right. the Las Vegas attack. Yeah, seven tweets in eight hours versus seven tweets in what, like eight days or something.
5: Yeah, I said we'll talk about it later. Versus, we're not talking about it now. Jumping right on it because
3: either way, the yeah. way you know. Again, this is why I think President Obama and President uh, and and Mrs. Obama say you shouldn't tweet.
5: Well, as this says, um, legal observers say Trump's statement could interfere with judicial efforts to find an impartial jury. Well, you know, I don't know if you heard,
3: though. Some people say our Justice Department is the laughingstock of impartial jury creation. Yeah. (laughs) So, (laughs) that's great. Thank you. Anyway, let's get to the headlines. Terry, what else should we be paying attention to? Anything
5: else going on? So we talked about... President Trump saying yesterday he wanted Gitmo for the guy, and yeah. now he's saying, eh, Gitmo's going to take too long, so death penalty. Let's just definitely go after the death penalty. It seems like death penalty takes longer than Gitmo. Uh, Gitmo has a bunch of red tape because mm-hmm. no one actually arrested in the United States has ever been sent to Guantanamo Bay. Yeah. And and transferring someone from the legal system to a military court mm-hmm. system, it causes problems, and the guy is a a, a citizen. Right. He, he So, I mean... He has rights, so, I mean, what Is are we going to do? Yeah. Maybe send him to that
3: Texas God, that,
5: prison that, that
3: has that constitution. no air
5: conditioning. There's that one, yeah. Yeah, that could work. That'll work. I don't know. So, so that was going on. That became a, a huge story yesterday. Other news, Facebook, Twitter, Google, lawyers, again, testifying before congressional committees Wednesday for a second day in the meetings, 30 of the posts believed to be from Russian backed accounts were displayed. One of them says, uh, what it said, Satan... Like was for Hillary and God oh. is for Trump, so oh okay, uh, vote against Satan. I guess was kind of well, the idea thought, of the yeah. post. I think you always should vote against. Press Satan. light, absolutely. To vote. Yeah, so. so Grandma said stuff
3: like that. You know, it's just they were that crazy.
5: Yeah, and there's a picture of a big red horned devil and then Jesus shaking, or they're done doing like an arm wrestle type thing. Oh, arm wrestling.
3: Okay.
4: Yeah. Well, we know who's going to win that fight. Yeah, no duh. And so it was stuff like that, but they only
5: put out thirty. Apparently, there's three thousand, so we only saw a small percentage, just but. a smidgen. But uh, one of the takeaways from the proceedings is that there is a. Uh, this is from CNN. That there's a radical disparity between the Silicon Valley and Washington priorities, according to uh, this report. Facebook, Google, and Twitter see themselves as open global platforms. They do not want to be arbiters of truth, and they do not want to be in the business of working on behalf. Of one government over another. Lawmakers feel the opposite. They believe these companies need to make fundamental changes to their platforms to weed out misinformation and safeguard democracy. Well, wouldn't that ruin some of these politicians' lives? Because then they'd be telling more truths. Well, yeah. But right. at the moment when you're grandstanding, you don't think of that, Matt. I know. Sorry. It says if this week's hearing taught us anything, it's that uh, never the two, it says never the twain shall see eye to eye. Mm-hmm. Also Facebook earnings came out Wednesday. Mark Zuckerberg said we are, we're investing so much in security that it will impact our profitability. Oh wow. So, hm. Huh. I mean sales have dropped because they're tossing, tossing out they're, stuff. they're they're not accepting every single ad request. Mm-hmm. Apparently. It says, more from Wednesday's, Wednesday's hearing. While informative, the meeting seemed to highlight a lack of social media savviness and part of some lawmakers. Among the questions asked, for example, were the difference between an impression and an ad click mm. and a bot and a troll. Oh, yeah. Which uh, – In fact, Jeff
3: had the same problem on Tinder
5: <laughs> between a bot and a troll. It says the purpose of these hearings was to get as many Russian interference-related answers from Google, Facebook, and Twitter as possible. So asking definitions of words – that could in fact be looked up on Google itself may have been a waste of time. Maybe mm-hmm. that maybe if the lawmakers would have maybe prepped yeah. on vocabulary Maybe they need a little glossary before yeah, just somebody some, could do a little glossary. Some form. basic vocab they mm-hmm. could have maybe streamlined this and got to the actual heart yeah. of the issue rather than trying to get definitions. Or just go to the White House and talk to President Trump because yeah. he knows all of those answers. I guess. He's all over the The lawyers media. were like uh a troll is someone trying to Why, put, you know. why are the lawyers there and not brother well, Zuckerberg? <clears throat> First off, Facebook had their earnings call, so they had to be on the earnings call. Okay, yeah, right? that seems Um funny. also none they don't want to be there? <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> I and mean, there's that. Yeah. There was an interesting uh it was a New York Times podcast I listened to yesterday and they were talking to a reporter and the guy went, "It's very interesting that back in uh with the Bush, uh, Gore, yeah, when that election And you had TV networks calling it for Bush for Florida. Right. And then they had to retract that. That when they got called to a Senate hearing, all the heads of the networks walked in the door. It wasn't their lawyers, right? Right. It was the The CEOs. It was the big guys. And they came in and said, we're going to fix this. We have a responsibility. And, you know, a similar election-related situation, these big companies, Uh and they send their lawyers instead of... they don't want to be there. Which might tell you that maybe
3: there's some guilt. I don't know. Why else would you send a lawyer? I mean, I wouldn't send my lawyer to
5: my kids' scout meeting. Right. You don't want to be attached to a soundbite that gets played for, you know, forever because of this historical situation. Yes. House Ways and Means Committee Chairman Kevin Brady said Republicans will definitely release their tax bill today, no question, after postponing it. Uh, they released a wrangle with other Republicans over issues like whether to scrap deductions for state and local taxes. or to report today, maybe the whole 401k limitations will uh, be part of this whole thing. We'll no. see later on today. A last minute tweak they made to the bill left them hundreds of billions of dollars short political reports. And they had to find revenue elsewhere in the bill to make up for that. And President Trump suggested on Twitter that the bill tried to dismantle the individual mandate in the Affordable Care Act. Holy cow. Why so they're right, in the, they're right in the middle of trying to finalize this, and President Trump goes, hey, here's a suggestion. Hey, throw this curveball. Republicans are also reportedly arguing over what to call the bill with Trump pushing for the name. Now, here, here's, here's President Trump's idea okay, for the bill. Okay. The Cut, Cut, Cut Act. <laughs> Sounds gory. What do you think? Do you think that's a good name for a tax bill? Cut, ball? cut, cut. Isn't that what, like, a director yells? Yeah.
3: Cut, 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 cut. Do it again. Tax Not cuts are the
5: GOP's number one legislative priority. The White House warned Brady that the bill has to be released before Trump leaves for Asia on Friday. Some perspective. 1986 was a big year. They tried to do a, another tax cut push, and they called it the 1986, uh, it was called the Tax Reform Act of 1986. Wow. Mm.
4: So there's a name for you.
3: Man, but cut, cut, cut.
5: You like cut, cut cut, cut, cut? slash cut cube,
3: Stab. And behead. Okay, there
4: you go. Wow. Dot com. That Words was live. really violent.
5: Trump added on Wednesday that he would be blaming Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin as the National Economic Council Director Gary Cohen if the plan, the tax plan, fails. So okay. those two guys, the Treasury well, Secretary and the uh, well, budget guy. Well, because that makes sense. Because this is the Council Senate's. Guy. This is the Senate's bill. Yes. So let's blame your on Treasury Secretary. We'll start blaming people. Okay, we'll that gotta makes get sense. Done. Uh, former Interim Democratic National Committee Chairman Donna Brazil. Have you heard of... Uh, I remember old Donna Brazil? She claims Hillary Clinton secretly took over the DNC before she had won the Democratic primary. In an excerpt from her new book published by Politico, Brazil said that she promised Clinton's opponent Bernie Sanders that she would get to the bottom of whether Clinton had rigged the nomination process. Oh boy. By September 7th, the day I called Bernie, I found my proof and I broke my heart. Brazil described a fundraising agreement between Hillary victory fund hillary for america and the dnc that stipulated that hillary would control the party's finances strategy and all the money it raised in exchange for clinton raising money and investing in the dnc it was signed long before clinton became the nominee another book revealed on thursday here's a book title the cover title for former fbi director james comey's new book a higher loyalty truth lies and leadership oh wow that's the title of his book it'll come out later this is exciting. Yeah, so now, I guess of,
3: with the Hillary thing, yeah. that's what everybody kind of assumed. Yeah, but everyone did But now Donna Brazile, who then took over uh, temporarily for the right. DNC. Until maybe she shared a question or two with CNN. Yeah, then that messed things up. <laughs> Whoops. Wow, so she's, she's kind of throwing Hillary under the bus. Yeah, well, mm. there is a bus. Now, now, everybody knows Hillary
5: is done. Yeah, but, you know, okay. it sells books. And you went, ooh, when I said it. No, totally. Uh, Finally, theater owners are already complaining about Disney's strict rules for exhibiting Star Wars The Last Jedi, which comes out December 15th. Disney will receive about 65% of ticket sales revenue from the film, a new benchmark for a Hollywood studio, writes the Wall Street Journal. Disney is also requiring theaters to show the movie in their largest auditorium for at least four weeks. Typically, studios take about wow. 55% of ticket sales from movie theaters, although bigger blockbusters sometimes send back around 60%. Previous Star Wars films required theaters send back 64% of sales. So now they bumped it up to 65 ah. Now, if theaters violate Disney's conditions, they could get dinged with an additional 5% of ticket sales being returned, bringing the total up to 70%. <gasps> wow. The problem is, they in the article they quoted a theater in Iowa, small town. They want to yeah. show the movie. Four weeks in the biggest theater. There's only so
7: many wow. people in town. Yeah, they've all watched
5: it. Right. So he's going to be showing this film about the second and third week to just empty stu- empty theaters. Yeah, you can. But have he has to do it, or 65% he loses money percent of nothing. Those yeah. greedy monkeys. Yeah. <laughs> and then I thought long and hard about it, and I went, "I'm just going to watch the movie." <clears throat> wow. Boy, Disney's kind of a
3: bully. A little bit. But boy, they sure make some great great movies. Remember when the prequels
4: came out and they were running the movies around the clock? Mm -hmm. That was crazy. They didn't fill up the seats, though, like they hoped they would. It seems like
3: we should all be partnering. Disney should partner with these theaters in a loving kind of cooperative
5: way. They sell popcorn that they probably pay less than a dollar for for the whole bucket, and they sell it to you for like $7, so... Not not Disney. No, but that's how the theater makes their money. So you're saying
4: we shouldn't feel sorry for Disney or the movie theaters. Don't think about it. it, just doesn't, mm. it just, that,
5: that doesn't involve
4: you. I mean, you could take like, a moral stand, but then you don't see the movie. So don't think about it. Just hand them the money. Just
5: compromise your values. Watch the movie. Forget about everything bad. Here's oh money. Give ticket. Take money. Make me happy. <laughs> Bring me out of this dark age. Yeah. Okay, wow. It's like when you go to the gas station. If yeah. you don't go inside and buy something in the convenience store part of the gas station, they really don't make any money on
4: your purchase of gas.
5: No. I, I you just, need to go buy the chips so they make money. I take them off. It's a, so the theater relationship is the same. It's a, Just
4: sneak in all your treats like all the rest of us. Huh? Yeah, my bag of milk duds that I just wrote. You
5: guys. It's a Ziploc. It's fine. Sh- Shh. that's it That's immoral. My, immoral? My kid Is leans that over. more than I'm, moral? It's immoral. It's unethical. Hmm? My kid leans over, Dad, do you have the milk duds? Dad, give me the duds. Except he can't whisper. He's almost like yell. Yeah, yeah,
3: yeah. Yell whispering. Yeah. Jeff's got, Just got the same
5: problem. But his was a, his was because
4: of his brother's. Ah.
3: <laughs> it impacted his hearing.
4: Actually, it was my cousin. Oh, sorry. It was your cousin. But I'm sure all the stuff my brothers did to me didn't help either. <laughs> Hey, uh, I wanted to ask you guys something, because today, this, we're celebrating this month
3: is Movember. It's Movember. Everybody gets facial hair, except well, here. we don't.
4: I asked my wife if she wanted me to grow a mustache for Movember, and she said, absolutely not. Yeah, no, I If I, I tried that. to grow a beard, she would be on board with that in a second. Well, mm-hmm. plus, yeah, you live in a family-friendly neighborhood. You don't want to have a mustache.
3: Um, Anyway.
5: uh, Wow. So now you guys know. All the neighbors start talking. He's got a mustache. Oh, my gosh. Did you see a mustache? What's going on down the street?
3: It looks so fake, but it's totally real. (laughs) I bet you'd grow a great mustache. He glued it on, I swear. I'm
4: sure they would think, I didn't know I was better than him. (laughs) That's exactly
3: exactly what they'd be thinking. Do do you guys know what
5: uh, Movember is for? It's prostate cancer, right? It's about male health issues. Yes. So. So you got the, the prostate, you got the – but also it's also you like got depression. It's, it's prost- male depression. They're trying to help people. I mean that's when you start to, to go see your doctor but get your prostate checked yeah. or even comes down to like depression and suicide rates and all yes. that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yes. So today we're going to have an expert on the show talking about um,
3: male sexual health. Mm-hmm. And I, I wanted to just know if you guys had any questions. You wanted me to ask him. Because there's a lot of weird things like, at what point do you need to start getting prostate
5: exams? That's, at what point? That's how what we, often do you need to get one? That's the one I'm really concerned with.
6: Yeah. I'm I
5: 48. Just, just had my birthday. <sighs> getting, getting up there a little bit. Yeah. I just, you know. You want I'll, I'll find out when you're supposed to have that yeah. and how often. Because I went to have a physical when I was in my 20s, yeah. which is probably the last time I went to a doctor. And the guy <laughs> looked at me and he's like, why are you here? And I said, to get a physical. And he goes, me want physical. Okay. So he like listened to my heart. He did the hammer tap on the knee and stuff. And yeah, yeah. that was it. The hammer like, tap. I, I didn't even take off my shirt. I mean, it's a physical. How does he get it? Yeah. You know, yeah. and, and he goes, well, the way it works now with the HMO is we don't do like unnecessary testing. But goes, th- that's not a test. He like goes, a- you're young. Are you, is there any, are you sick? And I go, no. Are you going to need symptoms of anything? No, I'm fine. And he goes, oh, good. And so it was yeah. like a total waste of time and money. Uh, and he uh, did, didn't do see, anything. it's really – He said later on in life you have other exams like the prostate exam and other men things. Men need so. a
3: hernia check once in a while. You need a, a prostate exam. Except we act like it's the worst thing that could ever happen in the world. Right. Hmm. Women go in all the time. Women go in every year well, yeah. and are evaluated. Yeah.
4: That's a nice way of putting it. <laughs>
3: But so it, it, the crazy thing to me See, is that prostate cancer is one of the most curable forms of cancer, and half the men in the room are like, "I don't even have a prostate. I don't right. want to talk about it." Right. <laughs> or if if I if I and if I went and talked to all my friends and said, "Oh my gosh, I went and got a prostate exam today," do you think all the men around me are going to bond with me on that? No, they're going to walk away like this guy's a freak.
4: Wow, you don't just talk about that. So you brought up his prostate. This is in public. My question: What's with the negative stereotypes surrounding mustaches? You can ask him that. <laughs> okay, I can ask him. Well, I mean, I think it, I think it was just the seventies. And then I've got a question for you. Mm-hmm. Coming back from the break, do you want me to play some Marvin Gaye, or do you want me to play Olivia Newton-John? No, you know what? I'd rather ju- I'd rather you just play just
3: maybe our regular music. <laughs> <laughs> but I appreciate you asking. Uh, so. <laughs> Up next, we're going to be talking about male sexual health because it is Movember. Uh, if you're wondering why everybody in your office is growing facial hair, it's uh, it really it's more than just growing facial hair. It's about uh, getting your man to go get checked and be healthy and strong. Uh, it's a big deal. There's very curable things we can take care of, but we can't take care of them if you're not talking about them, if we're not getting things checked. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you live a longer, healthier, happier life. You may have heard of Movember. It's an annual event where men grow mustaches during the month of November to raise awareness for men's health issues, such as prostate cancer, testicular cancer, and men's suicide. The movement's goal is to change the face of men's health and today we, uh, we have Dr. Dudley Danoff with us, author of The Ultimate Guide to Male Sexual Health. And he's going to talk to us about uh, these issues and how important they really are to our health and our happiness. Uh, Dr. Danoff, thank you so much for being with us today. Uh, pleasure, Matt. Talk to me about, do you notice a difference in men and women and how we approach our own sexual health?
7: Oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, men are macho. They have to be pushed to the urologist. They have to be pushed to get uh, an annual checkup of their prostate. I mean, a woman wouldn't miss her yearly mammogram or or pap smear. So women are much, much easier to treat, much easier to get to the doctor's office, much easier to find something that is wrong. We've got to change that, and, and we hope uh, that this Movember with the mustache deal uh, will do the trick. Yeah. have got to make men aware.
3: <laughs> I mean, I guess that's the key is get, get them aware and then get them talking about it. It's funny to me. Like, it seems like at every Super Bowl, you might see a commercial on prostate health. But a lot of times they're so... Um, Nondescript. You don't even know what they're talking about simply because they're trying to, I guess, get the information to men without making them feel uncomfortable.
7: Oh, absolutely. You know, I mean, every man – talking about the Super Bowl, I mean, every man's dream is to catch that pass in the fourth quarter. Yeah. That one-handed grab that wins the game. And we're all macho. We don't want to admit yeah, we have weaknesses. We don't want to admit that we can get ill. We don't want to admit that we have prostate cancer. And yeah. If something's wrong, we try to hide it. I mean, that's our deal.
3: <laughs> exactly. That is our MO. Talk to us about some, some of the things we need to be worried about. I mean, prostate health, for example, one of the things um, I, I'm not clear on is uh, how often do we need to go in and get our prostate checked? Are, are, there, um, uh, are there other ways to do it than the digital exam? Or is that the best way still? Or, or would, would, are there blood tests yet? Talk to us
6: through that.
7: Yes. Uh, so once a year after the age of 40, uh, if there's someone in your family, uh, father, uncle, who has prostate cancer, probably should start at age 35. It should be a yearly examination. Although the digital rectal exam is an important part of the examination, uh, if you find a a lump or a bump or an irregularity, it's probably a little too late. Uh, The best way to do it is with PSA, prostate-specific antigen screening. It's a very, very simple blood test. I mean, there is some controversy about that because things other than prostate cancer elevate a PSA like infection, sitting on a hard bicycle seat, a bowel movement, sexual activity, but at the same time, PSA does indicate early prostate cancer. It's an antigen produced by the prostate and produced in excess if there is a cancer in the prostate. Hmm. So controversial, but it's it's, it's reduced the incidence of deaths from prostate cancer by allowing us to make the diagnosis at a much earlier stage than just with a a, a digital uh, examination. Uh so I think it's a very important step.
6: That's
3: per I mean that really is so it's basically from 40 on it ought to be annual if it's um if uh if it's in your family probably from 35 on. Right. And, and if
7: and if you're African American uh, you have to be even more meticulous about it because the incidence of prostate cancer in African Americans is much higher than in the Caucasian group.
3: Hmm. Now, why is that?
7: Uh, nobody really knows. Uh, there, there must be some something genetic. Um, there's an interesting study that African Africans have a much lower incidence of uh, prostate cancer than American uh, African Americans. Uh, so the genetic pool is the same. Some people think it's related to diet that African Americans have a much higher cholesterol level, fat, more fatty foods, but it's purely speculative. Mm.
6: Yeah,
3: again, we're speaking with Dr. Dudley Danoff, who's the author of the Ultimate Guide to Male Sexual Health, and uh, in in celebration of Movember, we're trying to get all of our uh, important questions answered. Is there is there such a thing, um, uh, Dr. Danoff, as male menopause?
7: Yeah, uh, we, uh, we call it andropause. So. From about the age of 20 on, we have a slight reduction in our serum testosterone. Testosterone is what drives the libido. Uh, So usually men in their 60s, many of them have a low testosterone, uh, and that would be the equivalent of of the female menopause. We call that andropause. Um, There is good treatment for that in terms of what we call TRT, testosterone replacement therapy uh you should consult your doctor on that not everybody should be taking <laughs> yeah. uh testosterone the old grumpy old man syndrome you know <laughs> a little paunch, a little loss of libido a little sluggishness uh but if your testosterone is low uh, we can help you and and uh, reduce your belly fat and give you a little bit muscle mass a little bit more vigor and spice in your life,
3: man. You just described my entire life. There you go, right there. It's because it, see, I, I've seen a lot of clients too that um, they they might be taking testosterone, and it really, I mean, it makes them more aggressive. It it, it can mess you up if you're not doing it with a doctor's uh, you know oversight.
7: Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, exogenous testosterone taken in excess will thicken your blood. It's called polycythemia, Ugh. and it'll make mo- it'll make it more likely that you could get a stroke. So, testosterone is a dangerous drug, uh, but taken under a doctor's supervision and keeping your testosterone in a normal range, uh, no harm, no foul.
6: Yeah.
3: It seems like too as we live longer, um, the the expectation is, oh, that's great. Then we can be maybe more sexually active longer. We can have a healthier uh, life um, and include a healthier sex life. But also, I mean, erectile dysfunction is a very real issue, and there's there's a lot of possible issues that could be impacting erectile dysfunction. So, if somebody's having problems in that area, help us understand what what could be some of the issues and what what we could do about it.
7: Yeah, so there's no question we are living longer, and we're living healthier, and sex is possible. If you can get out of bed and brush your teeth at age 90, I mean, you can have sex. It may not be the same as it was when you were 30 or 40. Yeah. (laughs) You know, it takes me all night long to do what I used to do all night long. (laughs) But Yeah, I mean, all of those things, a healthy diet, low cholesterol, exercise program, a, a positive mental attitude, all of those help. Um, let's not forget we have that whole class of drugs, Levitra, Cialis, uh, Viagra, uh, which increases, increases blood flow and has dramatically changed uh, sexuality in our older uh, male population. Uh, those are safe drugs to take, except if, if you have coronary artery disease and have to take nitroglycerin. But with that exception, these are, are very, very safe drugs and have been revolutionary.
3: Is it? Um, I mean, because the interesting thing too is this is this is a couple issue as well, right? I mean, this also yes. means that you've got to be still communicating, yes. being connected to your partner in other ways as well.
7: Yes, a, a, a cooperative, uh, loving partner. I mean, the greatest aphrodisiac, uh, uh, you know, of them all. Forget rhino horn. <laughs> yeah, right. Is, is, is love itself. Mm. So we've got to have a loving, sharing, communicating partner. I mean that's very important
3: yeah talk about what uh what else do people um or men when they come in and see you what else are they too afraid to ask but they need to know
7: well i mean it it's true uh, a man doesn't want to admit that he has any weakness and very often uh you know we have an examination or a consultation and just as he turns and leaves the about to leave the examining grabs the doorknob Says you know by the way Doc oh yeah and then he tells you what's really going on so it's my job as a urologic surgeon to listen both to what a man says and what he does not say or how he says it mm-hmm. uh, and and in a you know very discreet way try to get to the bottom of what he's really there for it's it's interesting yeah they kind of
3: they'll beat around the bush I see it too and um, so some of it I guess is just being a really perceptive doctor or being bold enough to just go ask the obvious questions.
7: Well, I mean, you know, it's uncomfortable. As a urologist, I have heard every urologic joke ever imaginable because it is a, an uncomfortable examination and an uncomfortable setting, and invariably a uh, patient will say, Doc, did you hear this one? They try to lighten up the, mm-hmm. lighten up the scene, and, Doc, you, you're really not going to do that to me, <laughs> are you, Doc? Yeah, <laughs>
3: yeah. It's, fun, it's. Isn't it funny how just as humans we... How we exist. I mean, this is our health, and you could have a family history of prostate problems and still not be able to overcome your ego enough to go talk about it.
7: Yeah, I think Matt, they call it denial.
3: (laughs) Yeah, it's exactly what it is, isn't it?
7: We see that in urology a lot.
3: Do do you see a lot of hernia problems? I mean, I know that's another kind of test that a lot of men really don't like—the turn your head and cough test. but, again, it seems like it's probably a really common thing, and there's probably a lot of men walking around with hernias.
7: Yeah, there's no question, uh, no question about that. I mean, when we do the examination, we do examine the genitalia, and the hernia is right there. So, yeah, I, I have diagnosed more hernias than a general surgeon in my professional lifetime. Wow. Uh, one, one interesting sidelight, and I can, uh, and your listeners may be interested in this story, a number of years ago I had the opportunity, and I could talk about this, Because the person I'm talking about has passed away, I had the opportunity to go to Thailand and operate on the King of Thailand for for uh, his prostate. And uh, I said to him, "Your Majesty, I would like to examine you." Uh, And I I, I examine him, and I see he has this enormous hernia. I mean, as big as a as a grapefruit. And I said, "Your Highness, you know, you have this big hernia." Uh, and uh, I think you you need to get that fixed, well, then, should we fix that before you do my prostate? No, we do your prostate first, so here 's a man, a revered figure, yeah, a you know, king I about him, surrounded by at least thirty doctors, and not one of them, not one of them, ever said, "Would you take your pants down and let me examine you yeah. so the sycophants are all i mean i was just, I was truly astounded,
3: yeah, <laughs> totally no, I mean at his health, i mean that 's dangerous right i mean yeah, very dangerous, yeah,
7: can become what we call incarcerated or strangulated, and that becomes a life-threatening situation, mm. Matt.
3: Talk about um, if somebody is diagnosed with prostate cancer, What, what because we always hear, okay, you've got to go have, uh, I guess, a prostatectomy, is that what they call it? And, well, not necessarily. Yeah, so, so talk about this, the treatments.
7: Yeah, so what we do, if we make the diagnosis of prostate cancer, what we do is we stage the disease. First, we look at the slide of the, of the tissue and see if it's an aggressive or a non-aggressive tumor. If it's an aggressive tumor, then we have to have aggressive treatment. And the aggressive treatment would include uh, a, a prostatectomy, a surgical removal of the prostate, which today we do laparoscopically hmm. with a Da Vinci robot. It's an outpatient procedure done without an incision. The most miraculous advance I've seen in my 40 years as a urologic surgeon. Uh, if it's a less aggressive tumor, we put you in our watchful waiting or a surveillance group. So we just look at it, follow you on a bi-yearly basis, see if there's any progression of the disease. Many men uh, have these what I call non-aggressive cancers or almost non-cancer cancers and can live many, many, many years with a focal cancer and need no treatment. Also, we have radiation treatment, either external beam or we have uh, seeds, radioactive seeds. We have cryotherapy. uh, We have HIFU high-frequency ultrasonic treatment. Huh. So there's a lot of things on the menu, and it, it must... Your cancer, your general health, uh, your lo- uh, actuarial longevity, all has to be considered in the treatment. As we say as urologists, we want our patients to die with prostate cancer, not of prostate yeah. cancer.
3: I guess because it is one of the slowest growing traditionally, right? I mean, yeah, on yeah, average.
7: Yeah, but, you know... Uh, prostate cancer kills. I mean, here yeah. alone, Matt, 240,000 new uh. cases in America will be diagnosed, and 25,000 men will die of prostate cancer. That's so crazy. Prostate cancer can kill you, uh, even though it's, it's a relatively small number compared to the prostate cancers that are out there. Yeah.
3: So if um, if men are out there listening, I mean, having a diagnosis of prostate cancer doesn't mean death necessarily, but it, and it, it also doesn't close. mean in, you'll be impotent. Not it doesn't all, mean do, you'll be incontinent.
7: Not at all. Uh, even if we do the most aggressive treatment, which is this da Vinci robotic prostatectomy, we do what we call a nerve-sparing uh, and continence-sparing operation in which we meticulously and microscopically preserve the nerves of potency and nerves, and nerves of continence. Hmm. So that's a big, big, big revolution.
3: Especially, yeah, because even 20 years ago, right, that was all in jeopardy. Yes, absolutely. That's it, amazing. It
7: was, before the robot, it was, a, it, it was even in the most skilled hands, it was a brutal surgery. Hmm. But, the, but the, the robot allows us to rotate my hand 360 degrees, 15 times magnification, uh, access to the prostate very easily, I mean, it's it's truly revolutionary.
3: That is so powerful. Is um, where are we in terms of a male contraception? I mean, we keep hearing that you know, and with the the with female contraception uh, out there and the impact that that has on the female body, many women are out there wishing that their men could just have some uh, pill that they could take. Are we close to having a male well, contraceptive I'm, pill?
7: I'm I'm sad to say that there's a lot of research out there, but nothing that i see on the horizon in the form of a pill that will do it that won't upset the testosterone level Hmm. i mean we can manipulate the testosterone but uh, low testosterone or manipulation has bad side effects i mean basically the only male contraception is a vasectomy Uh, it's a simple procedure it's uh, done in 10 minutes it's usually done as an outpatient Uh, it doesn't affect your erections the amount of semen uh, your libido uh it doesn't affect anything uh, and and it can be reversed but it is you know a small surgical procedure yeah
3: and uh and i guess permanent
7: well it it's, and
3: reversible i guess it
7: it, it is it, if we do it it's permanent but it is reversible
3: yeah is um maybe walk us through the average uh man if he goes into his doctor uh which which we now know he should be going in once a year at least for a prostate exam that that exam w- will take how long mm,
7: well uh, i would say the the, the exam it's, itself would probably take 30 seconds so probably a, a minute to draw your blood um 30 seconds for your exam you might have to wait in my office for an hour and a half to get that. Yeah, right. because <laughs> I mean, you're popular. Probably, yeah. you know, under two minutes.
3: And and so it's funny because and by the way, uh, less painful than um, a, than an injection.
7: Uh, I think so. I mean, you know, you have to be you have to be gentle. I mean, it's not a it's not a pleasant exam either for the examiner or the examinee. <laughs>
3: yeah, yeah, right. Nobody's like having a good moment. It's yeah, just no, get it
7: done. I mean, so, I mean, you have to talk the patient, talk the patient through it, uh, you know, say so it's going to be a little unpleasant. Uh, you have to be very gentle. So, I mean, that's, you know, that's about being a good doctor.
3: Do you, and that's just the digital uh, rectal is just, a, you're palpating, you're, you're palpitating, I don't know what the word is, you're, you're, you're just trying to feel for an abnormality?
7: Yes, exactly. What we want to do, I mean, the, the reason it's a rectal exam is because anatomically the prostate is just in front of the rectum. And so, what we want to do is we want to feel a small plum. We want to feel it nice and round. We don't want to feel any asymmetry. We don't want to feel any lumps or bumps or irregularities. So that's what, and it's it's in many many ways analogous, you know, to a breast examination. Yeah. I mean, if a doctor, you know, pushes down on a breast and doesn't have a very uh, light touch, he can't feel anything. Hmm. So it has to be a, you know, a very very light touch. And although, it you know, it is unpleasant, it, it really um, it really needs to be done.
3: And then with that, um, uh, if you do have a family history, should you basically, should the the norm of practice be that you also get a PSA screening?
7: Yes, absolutely. Every patient in my practice has a PSA screening. And as they say, there's no doubt that it saves lives. At least uh, 25% fewer people die since uh, prostate uh, PSA screening has been started, which is about 20 years ago.
6: Hmm.
3: Oh, it really—it's—we it, just need to kind of grow up, don't we? Grow and, up is right. This is like—it's like, <laughs> it's like we're a bunch of little kids. Like <laughs> <laughs> that's like—it's so private and personal. But if it's going to save your life and at least get you on the path to a healthier to a healthier body, we just need to dare do
7: it. Yeah, absolutely. You know, many pa- patients say, "You know, doctor, this is very." very unpleasant examination i said you know you really have to feel sorry for your urologist you get this examination you know yeah, once. once a year and i'm doing it 30 times a day so
6: <laughs> it's I, feel sorry
7: so for me. I don't know why you chose that specialty well, Dudley. You know, look, that, that, that's a very 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 minor part of you know what we do i mean we we do kidney cancers prostate uh-huh. cancers uh, bladder cancers surgeries you get to do all
3: those surgeries
7: surgeries i mean you know we really save lives and it's a very rewarding specialty covers a lot of body parts uh you know a patient who goes into urinary retention because of benign growth of his prostate and he can't urinate i mean he's no more thankful a patient than you will ever find if you can relieve that obstruction (laughs) that's right
3: (laughs) no that's right
7: Oh, I bet no, they're so a cool relieved. It's Part of what we do in life, sometimes we have to do things that are not always the most pleasant to to, to achieve our goals.
3: Yeah, yeah. Hey, as we wrap this up, Dudley, what would you tell um, what would you tell the spouses, the partners, the people that care about these men? Um, how can they help motivate their partner to get in?
7: You know, get on the Movember. Uh, bandwagon. We're not asking the women to grow a mustache. That's right. (laughs) But we are certainly encouraging them to get their man in for screening. Uh, Screening does save lives. The treatment is very reasonable or no treatment at all. It's not anything to be frightened about. Uh, You're not going to be impotent. You're not going to be incontinent. Uh, Find a skilled urologist and do what he
3: says. (laughs) It's so true. So true. And if not, go to California where you are. Uh, Dudley, we appreciate you. Thank you for your great insight. The name of the book is The Ultimate Guide to Male Sexual Health. Dr. Dudley Seth Danoff is uh, the author of the book. And really, I think uh, I just love his candid nature. And uh, guys, come on. There's nothing you're going to say or show him or do that he hasn't seen before or heard before. So let's just get healthy. And uh, spouses out there, people that uh, care about these men, maybe just let's get that appointment set up. Get them on the phone and uh, get in and get checked. It's Movember. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you live longer and love stronger. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Wow. Dr. Matt here. Uh, I brought the guys together, to, and I wanted to find out, so now that you've listened to Dr. Danoff, and he's clarified a lot of the issues of male sexual health, are you, go, are you now going to go in and get your prostate checked? No. I am officially signing
5: up and will go in for my exam. Not yet. Why? Because he said if you're 40... And you have a family history. No, no, 40, no matter what, 40 on. No, he said family history. No, 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 family history was 35 on.
3: So if you have a family history, it's 35 on. And I have a family history, and I'm 47, and I haven't been focusing on it.
4: My brother is the reason why we are not in the uh, lowest-priced health bracket. Did he have prostate no issues? but he had like a he had like a heart murmur it was oh. like a very 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 minor heart attack i guess is what you would call it ultimately yeah. and so yeah our our insurance is a little higher because of him
3: thanks brother so that didn't convince you that you need to get in how old I'm, are you i'm 40 you are okay so this
5: is the year i'm i'm thinking i could put it off a couple years no just looking at my family history we're fine I know, but you're you're actually in great physical health. I'm okay. I I actually did the. Um, it's not a full body scan, but they call it a bod pod where yeah, you yeah. get in and it tells you you're like they done bod you're, your you. your body fat Bad and all pod. that stuff. I'm okay. Yeah, but that's not what they're checking here. I know, but you said I'm in good physical health, and I there's some medical professionals
3: who would disagree. But don't you find it ironic that your wife just had a baby, and while having that baby, she was violated, tested, poked, oh, that, probed, yeah. for
5: horrified, yes, nine straight months. Yeah, they were just Pregnant, poking on her. The
4: beauty of pregnancy, I missed it, and it didn't you happen. can't go take care of your <laughs> health. I'll be okay. I probably need to yeah. because my father had prostate cancer. He's fine now. And then my brother had a different type of cancer. You need to get in. Okay, so should we just accept the challenge that sometime
3: in the next six months, mm. everyone six will months? be checked? My schedule's kind of uh... – Your schedule is as open <laughs> as a schedule can get. Yeah, I know. So I promise I will have mine done by, the, by January. January 1st? Well I don't I I'm not going we, to the doctor. We can have for a special weeks. announcement
5: on January first. Notice yeah. he
3: didn't specify which January. The January of twenty eighteen. Okay.
4: Wow. And how about you, Jeffrey? When will you be in for your health check? Probably like next summer, because I went in somewhat recently. By July first.
5: Okay. okay. We'd have a special announcement that day.
4: Yeah, that'll be great. On our on, on um, our July first show. Yes. Yeah. I think the special announcement will be like you're listening to us on FM radio. Yeah, it'll yeah. be a, it'll be a different announcement. But, but what yeah. we'll do is we'll send a we'll send
3: a crew with you. Whoa, uh, we'll send some of our producers with you. Maybe Paula Kiko could go with you, mm. and we'll do like a we'll like a, like like do a long form interview with you and your doctor. <laughs> no, that's fine. Okay, but everybody get on it. I can't have anybody getting any type of prostate cancer on my show. Okay.
4: Just not going to take it. You don't want that? Don't make it sound like we're getting it from your show. No, my show, yeah. <laughs> that has yet to be, you know, ruled out.
6: I
5: but guess true. everything's all, on the table. All or... environmental factors yeah. will be considered. <laughs> <laughs>
3: <laughs> That's not good. All right, we'll continue the journey as we, uh, as we not only get you healthy, we're, we're going we're gonna to just keep informing you. The only way uh, we know how, which is with fun and just a, a, a little tiny smidgen of facts. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. Uh, we're back, folks, with a little Trump date. Um, apparently, Donald has been on the phones making some personal calls.
5: So he's got millions upon millions of people following him on social media. Yeah. He talks about it all the time. But for some reason, he feels like he needs to call up the New York Times and just chat. By the way, the, the New York Times, is probably, it's probably his newspaper of yeah. choice because he was in New York for so long. Right. The failing New York Times, as he calls it. Uh, he calls up uh, Maggie Haberman, who has been known. She covers the White House. They call her the White House Whisperer. Yeah. She's the one that talks to all the sources and gets the behind the scenes stuff. And then he's he comes in and they, they feel that the phone call was to counter some of the bad news with the Robert Mueller investigation and all that. And. He uh, he wanted to come back. I mean, the story was the walls are closing in. Everyone's freaking out. And he goes, in reality, I'm in the office early. I leave early. It's very smooth. I'm really enjoying it. I'm actually not angry at anybody. Yeah, he told, um, yeah, because somewhere there's a report he's angry. Yeah, and he's like, ah, I'm fine. It's no big deal. And other reports are he does get mad, blows off steam, and moves on. And then yeah. other ones where the walls are closing in and everyone's freaking out. So there's kind of the three stories you're getting.
3: Well, there's a problem because like like he'll say something like we're the laughing stock and then immediately you go to the White House here or White House press meeting and they're like he didn't say that. He said right. this, but he kind of inferred it. Yes. And so it's we're always playing this weird line with
5: him. He that. said and he just got fantastic uh, poll numbers from the Republican National Committee. Uh, focusing on uh, low employment rates, deregulation. He didn't cite any of the polls that revealed from Fox and NBC and other sources earlier this week that gave him the 38 percent, the lowest of any. Yeah, he didn't reveal president those. in the last probably yeah. 20, 30 years. Uh but yeah, so you know, okay. he, he feels like he's having a good time. He's enjoying it. He's not angry at anybody. No, he just called the New York Times to chat. Which, which, which you, know, you what you do, Which you do when you're the president. I'm just out chatting But with think you're, you're this reporter and all of a sudden the phone rings and it's the secretary of the president saying, Hey, Mr. Trump would like to speak with you. Oh, hold on. Oh, that would be so fun, though. Sure. Unless he's going to rip
3: on you. Well, yeah. Mr. Trump, if you need someone to call, give us a call. 1-855-CHAT-BYU. 1-855-CHAT-BYU. We'd love to talk to you. Find out what's going on in your neck of the woods. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on Sirius XM.
0: This is the Matt Townsend Show.
1: Your guide on the side. Follow
0: Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU.
1: This is the Matt Townsend Show.
0: Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio.
1: BYU Radio. Good
3: morning, friends. Top of the morning to you. Hey, hey, Great, uh, great news if you're an Astros fan. Astros take the World Series. If you're a Dodgers fan,
4: kind of a bad day. Yeah, though the game was just a dud. It was over after one and two thirds innings. I mean, again, and I didn't get there till about the
3: third inning, and I missed everything. Five. Yeah. It was five to zero when I started watching it, and then they got that one run. But boy, lots of uh, lots of great pitching. But these oh, pitchers yeah. were able. Especially the Dodgers just could
4: not get anybody in. They left so many people on the base. So. The Dodgers have been waiting for a performance like this from their bullpen for the entire World Series. They finally got it, and yet they couldn't do anything with their bats, so it didn't matter. Oh, I was hoping it would be a just a barn burner. Yeah, in it was batting. It was the least of the games, unfortunately.
3: But it was there was some really cool stories I did not realize, I think like six they were saying six or so of the players actually had uh had pictures that they had in their lockers of that came from the hurricane that had been damaged pictures and they keep them in their locker and any time they ever wonder why they're playing this game this year it's for these it's for the people of Houston. So that's got to be super powerful.
4: I think it's a nice sentiment. You see you keep um, you keep worrying about the people in California. No, I I think that's a nice sentiment too, but if 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 we're honest, why are these players really playing in the World Series? It's the money and it's the glory well, and the fame. No, I don't know. But, I, but I, I really don't feel like they're doing it for the people of Houston. You don't? No, I really don't.
3: No, but you know, <laughs> all you had to watch was—did you watch their interviews after? I mean, they were like emotional. This Houston needed this. Yeah, they, they needed this lift. So did sort of their careers. Well, yeah, but I mean, because they're going to play next year, and they may I'm, not even be play. They may play for Atlanta, not Houston, except this year.
4: Houston needed it. I would love to hear Terry's take on this because this is I would think this is Terry would usually take the stance that I'm taking on this. Mm, do you feel like Houston did this for the city of Do you feel like the Astros did this for the city of Houston or do you think they did it for their careers?
6: What,
5: well, when, by the way, winning the, 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 the
4: World Series.
5: Well, the PR angle, of course, is sure. you did it for city, the city. See, but, but what, Because so, you want to sell season tickets next year, you did it for the city. But, yeah, they did it for themselves. Well, you, why, exactly. why, hold, on, right. hold on, hold on. But why, why are you
3: making it an either or? It could be both. Because they were going to play this year anyway. They were playing this year before a hurricane. Right. Then a hurricane hit. And they're going to also play for the city of Houston.
4: They're not going to all quit. Right, See, so they're I doing would, both. I would probably be saying the same thing if the Dodgers won. I don't feel like they were doing it for the people of Los Angeles who lost their homes and fires. Well, but but again, but then
3: some, and every one of them probably on that team has somebody that was influenced by the fire somehow. So they they'd all play for that kind of one guy. But um, uh, oh. But they were also playing for two hundred and forty million or
4: whatever their sure. payroll is. Well, one hundred twenty-four, I think something like well, that. Well, no, I think the Astros oh, the were Dodgers. half of the Dodgers. Yeah, 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 So,
3: so again, this is still a team that's that's uh, not quite as uh, rich, expensive as an expensive. Last year, this next year, they'll be more expensive. Sure, people um, just got raises. Absolutely. But remember, but so so it's the same thing because you don't come to work. Just for the money.
4: <laughs> like, well. Oh, that's just pitiful. Because, well, see, yeah, maybe it's not. Because right. it, probably not enough you have to, to do it for You have to money.
5: enjoy the work on some level or
3: yeah. it's just well, drudgery. Or so as part of our work, if we found out somebody was in a shooting by our house and they were killed and you could do something on the show that would influence that, you would go do whatever you could on the show to help. Raise money for that person, right? I mean, you do what you could to, professionally, but you're still also collecting a paycheck,
4: right? And, and I, I, th- I think you're right. It might be different, but I, of course, I'm not making millions and millions of dollars doing yeah. this job. And I, I you're, don't you're, mean to lessen. I don't mean to lessen the accomplishment of the Astros. I think they put they put on a great show. They put on a great series, and they clearly just. I, I don't I want to say they wanted it more. But, well, yeah. clearly. I mean, look at the score. Well, they, The Dodgers obviously did not want to score, <laughs> and that's what happened. We don't want to win.
3: <laughs> I feel bad for Mary Hart. Oh. She was there again. I feel really bad. I feel bad for Sandy Koufax.
4: I'm not going to lie. There was a moment in the game last night after I just watched the Dodgers squander every possible run scenario. I, there was a moment where I was like, now I kind of want to see the Houston Astros win. Because yeah. they've never won. So that's yeah. huge. I love that for that reason, too. And
3: I um, boy, though, it's I don't know. It's an interesting it really is an interesting thing. I was a little disappointed in L.A. and I get it um, in how fast they cleared the stadium. Really? Yeah. They're trying to beat traffic. I, that's I the mean, whole thing. I mean, honestly, I really. But you still I mean, where was it? Uh, the home crowd could still stay to watch the World Series trophy being handed over and an MVP being chosen. Because it really was one of
4: the greatest, I think. Who was the MVP, by the way? Uh,
3: Was it Springer? Oh, yeah, It's
4: got to be him because he He hit so many home runs.
3: Oh, my heavens. He was so – such a great – had such a great series. But it was a great series. And can you not just celebrate – this year,
4: I get it. Everyone in L.A. has got to get on the road to get home. I, I would think if you spent at least $1,000 on your ticket, would you stay. wouldn't be leaving by the seventh inning. No, but yeah. I, would, I
1: would
3: even stay and watch the the handing over at the very – I mean, wait an extra half hour and get to see a championship – another championship team take a, take the trophy. Mm. To me, that's just good sportsmanship. And I would, if, again, if I had spent all the money to be there I, and my kids were with me, we would be watching the trophy, even if, if we lost. If the concession stands were still open at that point, I might consider it's it. It's always about food for you. Always about food for you. Um, lots of other funny headlines going on, but uh, we're going to let Terry sort all of those out. Terry, what should we be focusing on uh, when
5: it comes to the news? Well, these have come down just in a few minutes. Uh, we've been standing your House GOP tax bill would Preserve Popular Retirement Account, that 401k. Sweet, I hope so. Hope so, and reduced number of tax brackets as they've uh, talked about. Hmm. <clears throat> so that's what we'll see. We'll see. the The, the story's still being uh, hashed out. I haven't found any like people to. Yeah. Go look, Hashed as a look good word. um Trump named uh, Fed Board member Jerome Powell to succeed uh, Janet Yellen as the head of the U.S. Central Bank. So, if that's something you're concerned with, which, I mean, the Central Bank has a, a, a big, big focus purpose. on our economy, but uh, that person that runs it usually goes kind of unnamed for well, years. And they've been signaling America, they were going toward Powell. Right. What, for a year? So, there you go. That was announced today. Okay. The man who killed eight and injured 12 in an attack on a bike path in New York Halloween afternoon requested an ISIS flag to be displayed in his Bellevue hospital room just after the alleged He uh, killed those eight people in the terror attack, so he Uh, wanted a flag. Yeah, we'll get right on that. Um, He waived his Miranda rights, the FBI said. He stated he felt good about what he had done. He said he considered displaying the ISIS flag in the front and back of the truck, but decided against it for fear of drawing attention. He chose (laughs) Halloween for the attack, he told law enforcement, because there'd be more civilians on the street. According to the complaint, which said that the uh, 90 videos recovered from his cell phone included... uh, Some very gruesome ones, kind of you know the kind of stuff you've heard that ISIS have done—beheadings and killings and all that kind of stuff. So he's looking at that kind of stuff. He intended to proceed to the Brooklyn Bridge to strike pedestrians. So he ran into a school bus that stopped him. That was probably the—is that what? Is that how it all ended? Yeah, he ran into a school bus. There was a few kids that were injured. One of them, I heard, critically type of thing. But the the school bus stopped the truck. So that's how it stopped. Uh, he, uh, what he was wheeled. He was in a wheelchair, apparently, to go into court yesterday. He was shackled, uh, probably because he was shot in the abdomen, right? Yeah, so right. So he's probably still dealing with that. His initial, uh, presentment in court, he responded with, yes, ma'am, after Judge Barbara Moses asked through a translator whether he understood the proceedings. He also thanked Moses for appointing him a lawyer. Uh, federal defender David Patton, who said that the uh, his client agreed to detention and expected to be transferred to one of two federal administrative prisons in New York City. He goes, how we treat the attacker in this judicial process will say a lot more about us than it will say about him, Patton told reporters. That's it's, the lawyer for it, the guy. That's a very true point. So we need I to mean, treat him. He's
3: being represented, mm-hmm. by the way, which is why you got to be careful ever saying that our Justice Department is a joke or the laughingstock, which apparently the president didn't say he just said people are saying it right people are saying but it's it's still the best around right i mean who else is going to take a guy like this and not just
5: run him out in the street and right. stone him let's give him a defense and, and i you know i i guess the first response is string him up but
3: well you gotta yeah you we can't. have a,
5: we have a system for a reason let's let it you can't become course. broken because he's broken right Right. As the White House staffers start to seriously Contemplate the possibilities of impeachment After the first round of indictments and special Counsel Robert Mueller's Russia investigation The president has began to blame His son-in-law, Jared Kushner, for his un- his uh, in- <laughs> in- Unenviable position That was tough oh. Vanity Fair reports That the president, during a Tuesday phone call With former White House Chief, of St- uh, Chief Strategist Stephen Bannon Blamed Kushner for Mueller's advance- Advancing investigation because he had advocated The firing of former National Security advisor Michael Flynn and former FBI director James Comey. Bannon is uh, to said is to said that what uh, want former White House chief of staff Reince Priebus to testify to Mueller that Kushner pushed the president to fire Comey. Meanwhile mm. in a recent call with close friend Roger Stone, Trump agreed with Stone's assessment that Kushner had given the president bad political advice again all in vanity fair. Wow. You're get, According to sources, of course, but he's going to lose his son-in-law. Well, maybe. Hmm. And then he's expendable. He's got like ninety things he's trying to deal with. Save the planet, basically. Yeah. From Middle East problems, from all you know, he's trying to just garner peace around the world. So he's he's busy, but apparently he gave the president some bad advice. Yeah. So we'll see what happens. Off but with your head! Again, the source of this seems to be Bannon. Ah. So I think the bigger story is Bannon's still talking well, to B- B- Bannon's the guy that was fired. Bannon and Priebus were, were supposed to be the leakers. Yeah. And all those types of leaks kind of stopped when they both left the White House.
6: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
5: So, Isn't that weird? It's kind of uh, interesting. But, but the leakers
3: continue. They just come through Breitbart as Bannon talking about...
5: Right. It's yeah. kind of around the Kushner. way, but it's there. Okay. Michelle Obama's advice was directed at young people attending a summit hosted by the Obama Foundation... Uh, she, uh, But it wouldn't be a bad idea for everyone to follow the words of wisdom that she shared Wednesday. So many people are quick to tweet every thought, the former first lady said. But that's a bad idea because first initial thoughts are not worthy of the light of day. Yeah. When the audience began to laugh, likely thinking of a certain someone in the White House, Obama said she wasn't talking about anyone in particular, <laughs> adding that it's important to make sure tweets don't have typos and use correct grammar. Every word you utter has consequences, Obama continued. You can't slash and burn up folks because you think you're right. You have to treat people like they're precious, even those you don't agree with. That a girl. That's amazing. That's cool. I mean, it's coded. No, she said it's not. It's for everyone. I mean,
3: but, but no, it's, it. no, it's great advice for everybody. And a subtle... I,
5: and a subtle yeah. You know, wink about it worked. Maybe one said president, maybe hire a social media director that's actually done something with social media before. <laughs> they just hired a guy, he has no background, he doesn't even have social he ran it. Media. He ran it during the campaign, but honestly,
3: who's going to tell the president how to do a social media anyway,
5: right? And that's really the
3: but I are you going to get to what President Trump said or President Obama Go said? Go ahead. What did he say? He talked on a on a conference um, for the Obama Foundation. About the same place she was at. The yes. Same place. Mm-hmm. That uh, he he and the and the first lady, ex first lady, won't will no longer. They're not married anymore. Yeah. What do they call the first and the whatever previous first lady? Um, will no longer do selfies with people. Yeah. Not, no longer going to have selfies taken with people. Not going to happen. So if you come across the Obamas, don't ask him for a selfie. Why he asks, it's not because he doesn't like selfies. He thinks they're great. But w- he says, everybody, when I meet somebody to to, to as the president of the United States, they, would, they wouldn't look me in the eyes. They'd just turn their back to me and take a selfie.
4: That's rude. And
3: I want to see people's faces. I want to look in your eyes. So be careful of being a selfie
5: generation.
4: Hmm. It's
3: cool. It's just great advice. Right. It's great advice.
5: So maybe... Take a picture with the president or yeah. former president, have just standing there. Have somebody else take yeah. a
3: picture, and you're standing. Do you remember that used to be the way we did it?
5: Right, but then you have to find somebody. Now you can do selfies. You don't have to find anyone to take the picture. You just do it.
4: And He'd then- probably be okay if you didn't take a picture with him. That wasn't a selfie, too.
5: Just,
4: oh, but see, they want like they want, they
3: want
5: to help you be really cool.
4: <laughs> and finally,
5: yeah. Apparently the rumors were true. I didn't hear the rumors, but apparently there were rumors. The rumors that we didn't hear are are true. No. They're not true. That Beyonce has landed the part of Nala in the Disney upcoming remake of The Lion King. Hmm. So okay. did you see the Jungle Book? Yes. The live action Jungle Book? No. Where you had the boy and then there was like, a, it, was, it was computer animated, but it looked really... No. life like the tigers but that and sounds bears wonderful and, oh my my kid was scared right he wanted to see it because he'd watched the jungle book cartoon yeah. so we went and watched it and at one point like the snake oh moving around scary. and he like re- I, I feel my son like reach over and grab my arm he's like dad <gasps> how is that cute real? so it was kind of fun so they're doing there. that so they're that, doing that, that version to the lion king oh so it'll be like a big musical yeah so, you have Beyonce as Nala, which is the <sighs> girlfriend of Simba. Yeah. Simba will be uh, voiced by Donald Glover. James Earl Jones will reprise his role as Mufasa. Yay! Chuitel Ojifor will voice the villain Scar. Who's Rafiki? Rafiki, I'm trying to see here. <sighs> oh. By- no, Rafiki Alex Boyer No, it's not uh, It says the rest of the cast includes comedians Like uh, Seth Rogen will be Pumbaa. Oh, really? Billy uh, How fun. Echner, Eichner Eckner uh-huh. will be uh, Timian That's the, the Bill-
4: Billy on the street guy And then John Oliver really? will be uh, Zazu, the bird Oh, that's good casting right there Will be the annoying little bird So, that's speaking great. of Rafiki The actor that voiced Rafiki just passed away the other day
3: No way Mm-hmm. What was his name?
4: Bruce, I don't remember. You remember everybody's
5: name, yeah? yeah. But you look at the cast, you're like, "That's a great voice cast. That's great, John Oliver. That's
4: probably the best casting." If they could try
5: to capture what the Jungle Book had, Mm -hmm. you're watching it, you're like, "That looks like an actual like lion or tiger or what?" I mean, you're just like, "Wow, that's crazy! How just how really."
4: in depth the computer graphics When's look, that so. coming out?
5: Uh, it says 2019 I think. Oh so we'll have
3: to
4: and wait. And they'll have a teaser trailer for Perfect. it out next week. Yeah. Yeah, that's how they'll it. They have a the pre-teaser. By the way, trailer. there was
5: a Star Wars 45 second teaser trailer in the baseball game last night. Ooh, I is this saw the that.
4: one with Mark Hamill in the Millennium Yeah, he walks Falcon? he walks in and like
5: the the the, the spaceship turns on. You're like,
3: "Oh." Yeah, that, that okay. I don't know what that achieves. What do you mean? Like it's forty-five seconds, and yeah. all I remember. Oh, oh, that's that's Mark Hamill. Oh. You, you, you how many times I and watched then somebody it? started that
4: lightsaber. Oh. I watched
5: it like three or four times just to get all the little details because there's things going on in the background. No, people that you do don't that, see. Huh? Oh, of course. Okay. There'll be like three podcasts today just dissecting it. That's weird because I have a life. Not to be rude. Wow. But apparently, last night was a big push for movies because they had Thor trailers, Justice League trailers, Return of Star Wars. You got me now, trailers. wanting to
3: see the Thor. Trailer movie, yeah, it's
5: so not trailer trailer, the movie. We have our in-house reviewer.
6: Mm-hmm.
5: He had talking with him yesterday. He's very. He's like, I saw the first two. He goes, this one's awesome. He goes, it's just a comedy. It's funny. It's a really good movie. I love. A Granted, good he comedy, liked. The, Thor. He, he liked the Lego Ninjago movie, which Ooh. a lot of people didn't like. So yeah, take that yeah. into consideration. But apparently, Thor's it's getting like ninety-eight on Rotten Tomatoes. Mm. They're they're saying it's the. Best-reviewed Marvel movie ever. It's so far outpacing pre-ticket sales than uh, Spider-Man Homecoming. Really? Lots of pre-ticket sales there, and this is outpacing that movie so far. So see what happens. I'm going to watch it. They've got my money. Well, actually, with my mom's, she gave me a birthday gift card. They got my gift card. It's It's
3: good. 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 Um, Let's do a little empty news, Jeff. What, uh, What should we be focusing on when it comes to the Matt Townsend news? So uh,
4: what's the strangest thing <laughs> – I shouldn't say that. I was going to say what's the strangest thing you've ever put down your pants. But mm. uh, we'll, we'll move beyond because that.
3: We're talking about a, a thief that has yes. a habit of stealing stuff by stuffing it down his pants. Yeah. So uh, nothing because I just pay for it.
4: Well, I told you we went to the movies one time and we had this this plastic tube of yard-long licorice yeah. that my wife shoved down her pant leg and she kind of limped into the movie theater. And uh yeah, we enjoyed <laughs> that in the movie. That was great. But we paid for that licorice. You paid for it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh so there are police are searching for a man who dropped three T-bone steaks oh, down what his is shorts sir. Officers were dispatched Friday night to a grocery store in Dayton, Ohio, to report of a, uh, a theft. The store manager told police he was walking down the meat aisle when he became suspicious by the behavior of a man talking to another customer. That's really suspicious when people talk to each other yeah. in the grocery store. Yeah, something's weird. The manager later saw the man run out the front entrance. He ran after him but lost sight of him after he went behind the door, uh, went behind the store, according to a Dayton police report. How How do you... How can you not catch up with a guy that's got meat in his pants? <laughs> because he's got meat in his pants. He's trying to run Just away. Just follow the juice, the meat <laughs> juice. Uh, the manager showed police surveillance video footage, which shows the thief grabbed three T-bone steaks, which each cost between $10 and $20. Wow. Then, in a different aisle, the suspect places the steaks down his shorts, and that's when he took off.
3: Gone. Yeah. Wow, it sounds... you know. I mean, this is the weird side of my brain, but it sounds like this could be a a pretty interesting game.
4: There's a new game show that's setting out to answer the question, Will Will
6: It Fit? fit?
4: On Will It Fit, contestants try and squeeze various groceries into their pants. Items like a 20-pound bag of ice, (laughs) a case of dog food, and a pineapple. Uh. Will it break? Will it hurt? And most importantly... Will
6: it fit?
7: Coming soon to BGC.
3: Are you one of those uh, people that are constantly counting down the days until your next weekend? I, I kind of even do that on the show. Hey, it's Thursday. Only one more day before you can finally take a break. But uh, most people can remember a time when they didn't have to try to feel inspired at work. They just were inspired. They loved what they were doing. Now, however, every day can seem like a drain. So how do you get your momentum back? How do you reignite your inspiration? How do you make work more exciting? Today to talk about um, uh, how to do this is our guest, Scott Mautz, and he is um, an adjunct professor at Indiana University where he teaches others-oriented leadership and the secret to sustaining motivation. He's also a popular keynote speaker and author of the book, Find the Fire, Reignite Your Inspiration, and Make Work Exciting. Again, Scott, thanks so much for being with us.
8: Fantastic! Thanks for having me on board. I love it.
3: You bet. It's um, I love uh, giving people tools like like you're about to give us because it just seems like a lot of people are just counting the days till they're done. <laughs> is, is, is that true? Is, is the data showing more and more people are dis, you know disenchanted with their work life?
8: Yeah, Matt. I wish I could tell you was it wasn't true. Yeah, um, <laughs> but unfortunately, it is. You know, in fact, the data shows us that 70 percent of us have uh, lost that love and feeling, mm. as I like to say, and feel uninspired, um, which obviously is unacceptable. And people have a hard time when they hear that. Like They have a hard time believing that 70, 70 percent are uninspired. Mm. And, yep. That's, that's exactly crazy. The case. And uh, year after year, as Gallup measures that. Not getting any better either. So the, our attempts to crack that code aren't, aren't aren't working. Yeah, well, I mean, and that's that's actually
3: amazing because uh, think of how many companies are trying to crack that code. They call it engagement, and um, but with all the effort being forced and focused on that, still not a lot of movement of the needle.
8: Yeah, that's that's the problem, and I, and I think you know even beyond engagement, you know what I write about and find the fire is the power of bringing inspiration back to work and I thought it might be helpful now for me to just quickly yeah talk about kind of where that, that yeah, talk what that means yeah yeah so you know so why inspiration of all the things you could focus on you know in your day we all have enough to do of all the things to worry about bringing back in your work life why inspiration and you know I think it's important for your listeners to understand the discerning difference between motivation and inspiration inspiration's power extends well beyond that of motivation and the way i usually explain this is that motivation is the pragmatic consequence of inspiration you know, who doesn't want that in our life yes i want to be more motivated it's that engineer in us that proceeds in a step-by-step fashion until we achieve our goal but inspiration is it is a galvanizing moment of energy that precedes motivation and it shoves motivation into action the, the way i like to put it is this with motivation we take we take hold of an idea and we run with it hmm. with inspiration. An idea takes hold of us. Yeah. And who doesn't want that kind of power in our work life? I, power is almost unending once you can bring it back in. But it's elusive.
3: The word uh, inspiration, I've always thought of it, too, as it, it's putting a spirit in you that the spirit, it's reigniting your essence, your core. It's, there's something that's lighting your fire, as you talk about.
8: Yeah, that's that's exactly right. And the, the sad truth of it is, you know, Matt, is that there's no one that will raise their hand and say, yeah, boy, I would love to be uninspired at work every day. You know, <laughs> it's, something that, it's something that we all want. But the problem is, is that most people assume that either, A, it's, you know, a mysterious force that you have no control over, that it's fickle, that you have to wait for it just to appear, or, or that it appears to people who climb the mountains of Tibet to talk to monks, Or they assume, you know, that they wait for it to just appear in their life. They might wait, for example, for their chain of command at work to inspire them. You know, hey, isn't that part of their job? Isn't my boss supposed to be inspiring me? But, you know, research isn't on our our side. And statistics aren't on our our side on this, Matt. In fact, research shows that the majority of employees, just over 55% of employees will say that the number one factor they want from their boss more than anything else is for their boss to be inspirational. So great, when you follow up and you ask them, well, fantastic, is your boss inspirational? <laughs> you know, you hear crickets. Yeah. The truth is is that less than 11% will say, yeah, well, my boss is actually inspirational. So if you're waiting around for inspiration to just show up, it's a fool's errand. It's, it just doesn't work that way. That's just too passive of approach. And, the, you know, the first epiphany that I wanted your, your listeners to take away today, Matt, was that in truth... Inspiration can actually be codified and coaxed. You don't have to wait around for the conditions to just occur. Leading research on inspiration and leading researchers on inspiration, of which I'm one of them, uh, is starting to show that it can be codified and coaxed and that you can actually create the conditions where inspiration is much more likely to occur in your workday and in your life overall,
3: hmm. what what are the? How do we do that? Because I mean, I can I can imagine you know a stay at home mom that's just dying to have some inspiration, or a retired <laughs> couple that are just that you know they're hoping for something. And you make a good point that a lot of us think that that inspiration comes from outside of us. Uh, We need some stimulant or some boss or some organization to create that. But you're saying, no, we can actually kind of dig down deep and and start to create conditions.
8: That's right. And it starts with the proper process. And, um, you know, I guess the second epiphany today is that we often ask ourselves the wrong question when we want to inspire ourselves. And research teaches us that most common, you know, if you're feeling kind of bummed out in your life or in your job and you're like, God, man, the passion is just gone. What we tend to do, social scientists will, will back this up and say that, you know, we tend to pause and say, all right, what inspires me? And then I'm going to try to do more of that. And of course, first of all, the answer is as individual as a human being. It might be a well written quote, it could be a beautiful sunset, it could be an incredible painting, or maybe it is actually a, an inspiring boss. So we'll say, what inspires me? And then we try to bring more of that into our life. But the problem is, is that's an incredibly passive approach. It's incredibly elusive. You have to wait around for it to happen. And oftentimes when it does happen, it might get repressed by the soul sucking work environment that you're (laughs) working in every day or, or a spirit crushing boss that you're working for. So the next epiphany is not to start by asking yourself what inspires me, but instead ask, how did I lose my inspiration in the first place? Hmm. Because as you said, as you opened the show, it was true. It was truly everywhere when you first started in your role when you first started in your role as a mom as a as a parent as a as a technician as a healthcare technician as a librarian whatever it, it tends to be there quite naturally when you start a job there's very naturally occurring pools of inspiration what happens over time is we that inspiration gets drained from us so rather than trying to create net new pools of inspiration out of thin air what I'm suggesting the listeners do is figure out how they lost their inspiration in the first place, what drains the inspiration. And once you know the root causes, you can put in place solutions moving forward to, to secure that. Hmm. Um, and if you want, I can talk about what drains our inspiration. And, you know, let, let me know if that would be the right Yeah, yeah.
3: Give us, give us some discussion. insight into that because um, and are there universal drains or is, are they just like universal patterns that are more likely to drain us?
8: Absolutely. Uh, There sure are. Um, And that's not just my opinion. That's, uh, uh, you know, over 15 years of research in in this this field of inspiration. And I'll set it up very quickly by turning to Greek mythology for a second, where Greek mythology teaches us that Zeus and his wife, Mnemosyne, had nine daughters. And these nine daughters were goddesses, and they were uh, charged with different factions of art and science, and in charge of inspiring artists that you may know them by their stage name, Matt, the nine muses. Hmm. Many have, uh, you know, heard the term, oh, I'm waiting for a muse to whisper into my ear and to inspire me to do my work. The term music, you know, came from muses, as did the term museum, a warehouse for all the creative output, which the, the the muses themselves supposedly had created. Well, what I like to get my audiences to think about for a minute is to imagine for a second that these muses are real. And imagine if the opposite is true, that there's actually forces that are working to drain our inspiration. And I propose that, in fact, there really are. And is it a coincidence that there's nine of them? I'll let your listeners be the judge of that. But the data is showing nine forces statistically break out from the rest, which I find very interesting that there's nine anti-muses to counter the nine muses. Right. Uh, And if you want, I will quickly talk about the universal themes or the universal anti muses and then as you want we can go back and dive in on any one that you so choose Great, great so this is what research is telling us about the nine anti muses the things that most commonly drain the inspiration from our life number one is fear fear of failure fear of criticism fear of change the second one is settling in boredom when we feel like uh, we've we've fallen into a rut and a pattern and we've forgotten that getting you know the word unstuck yeah. It starts with you, and we forget that. We forget that it's up to us, and we just end up at a plateau. It's, uh, it's in many ways the opposite of inspiration. The third natural drain that occurs, according to the researches and the data, is inundation. Being overwhelmed is like the new black now, Matt. You know, it, it's fashionable to yeah. say, "Oh my gosh, I I just can't keep up with my life." Well, guess what? That has a real impact over time in terms of you feeling being able to feel anything other than just completely overwhelmed and drained at work, let alone inspired. Right. Uh, The fourth force is uh, loss of control. Feeling that you're working in um, an area where you just don't have enough influence on the outcomes in your life. You feel deeply disempowered in your life. Uh, The sixth one, this is um, a devastating one. We work with a sense of dwindling self-belief, a powered down state. Of compromised inner strength, something is happening at work or in life that's eroding our confidence slowly, and it's very, very difficult to reignite your inspiration when you're feeling a, a dwindling sense of self-belief. Hmm. The next anti-muse is a disconnectedness when you get cut off from uh, coworkers. When there's one particularly soul-sucking coworker, a coworker that you don't get along with, that just uh, you just can't seem to connect. There, they're even acidic. And it's eroding the relationships at work. Another item is dearth of creating. And uh, this one is, oh, gosh, of all the interviews, the thousands of interviews I did, this came with the most emotional response where when I ask people, well, what's draining your inspiration? And they would talk about this dearth of creating meaning. I stopped creating meaningful output in my job. I don't know what happened, but now the things I produce, I produce daily reports. I produce... X, Y, and Z, and I stop producing unique imprints that are imbued with my unique talents and strengths. Hmm. Two more antimuses for you, Matt. Yeah. You can steal wherever you want it, wherever you want, because I can't just leave your listeners with no hope.
6: Right, you right. Can't
8: give them solutions. Right. So two more. Um, this one is, in my humble opinion, next to fear, maybe the most devastating. Working with a sense of insignificance. Feeling that your work no longer, if you're truly honest with yourself, your work no longer really matters to the company, to others, and maybe most devastatingly, not even to yourself anymore. The mm. work has lost a significance. Yeah, totally. And The final one is um, a lack of evocation, which means you work in such a, a horrendous work environment or even home environment that it's impossible to have, to be ev- have inspiration be evoked by anything. It's very difficult to, to, to be in an environment where you're inspired by something when the environment is so... Corrosive
6: around you, so it's those interesting. Are the
8: nine anti-muses.
3: Well, and it's uh, when you go through them, it almost seems like, in many regards, that is those are almost the goals of corporate America, in a way. Because, <laughs> well, because sometimes they try to get you in routines and processes and procedures, and there's hierarchy, and you you know you're disempowered to make decisions, and that you almost start settling and sliding into just being this this automaton, this just robot that just keeps doing what you're supposed to do instead of feeling and caring and thinking.
8: Yeah, that's so true, Matt. And so many have put it to me that exact way. And the the true crisis in the reason why we still have 70% disengaged, 70% people saying they've lost a passion, full passion for their jobs is because they accept that this is just the way work is. It's a reality. Because what happens is you know, they're not aware of what I've learned, what social science teaches us, and what cutting-edge research on inspiration teaches us, which is, again, asking yourself what inspires me and trying to do more of that doesn't work. You really have to understand the root causes, and the data is super clear Yeah. that out of all the things that can drive you nuts at work, these are the nine things that break out from the pack that you have to learn how to attack. And not, by the way, Matt, not all nine apply to everyone.
3: Right. You might have what one I or have two found, that really apply.
8: Exactly. That's exactly right. Most people will say, um, oh, "I'm making this up." You know, uh, I'm a pretty uh, stoic person. I don't. I'm a risk taker. I don't worry about fear of failure. But man, you want to talk about dwindling self belief? You know, I'm, I'm losing my spirit at work. And- and, uh, and that's good, and that's natural. It's, it's You'll find that there's probably two or three that really register.
3: Absolutely. So, Scott, again, we're speaking with Scott Mautz, who um, is the author of the book, Find the Fire, Ignite Your Inspiration, and Make Work Exciting Again. Scott, what do we do uh, getting kind of to the solutions? Um, how do we, uh, I guess we have to identify which of the anti-muses that we're being falling prey to. What else do we do to, to get back our inspiration, reignite it?
8: Yeah, and what I'll do is I'll, uh, I'll let the data guide me here, and um, Matt, I'll pick some of the nastiest anti-muses that are the most common occurring.
3: Yeah, great, yeah. And uh,
8: I'll give you some solutions that are going to hit a broad swath of your listeners, and if there's any others that you want to dive in, you know, I'm prepared to talk to Eddie and So, but I'm just going to start by picking out some of the, the most dastardly causes, Okay, and I'll start with um, fear of failure. Because uh, the data is so clear on this one, Matt, that 50% of adults, 50 percent of adults say a fear of failure is the number one thing in their life that keeps them from accomplishing their goals or even choosing to revisit their goals. And uh, it, it's at crisis levels in the, in the workplace, hmm. um, aided by the addition of social media in our lives. We're in a constant comparison mode. Relative to the boomer generation, you know, even that didn't have to deal with that And we're constantly feeling like we're not measuring up and that we're a failure relative to everybody else So here's how there's many ways to overcome it that I talk about in uh, my book find the fire But I want to just talk about one very very powerful one with your listeners Um, you know, you have to understand that neuroscience is pointing to the fact that fear of failure is becoming a crisis at work and and it And it literally is indicating to us that our fear of failure it shuts down the part of the brain that is responsible for growth and risk taking and exploration and discovery. So you can reframe the discussion that your brain is having. Fear of failure engages your brain in the wrong discussion. You can reframe it in the following ways. For example, you can reframe your fear of failure by saying, what if I told you Matt, that there's only three ways you can actually fail. When you quit?
6: Hmm.
3: No. Well, well, I want to know what they are. (laughs) Yeah.
8: Yeah. 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 When you quit, when you don't improve, or when you never try. Hmm. You know, what if I were to tell you that a failure doesn't happen to you, it happens for you? What if I were to tell you that, guess what, you're not the one that suffers when you fail. It's your ego that suffers. Hmm. And albeit it's the loudiest, you know, loudest, whiniest part of you, but it's your ego that suffers, not necessarily you. you know, what if I told you that your fear of failure shouldn't scare you? It's trying to tell you that something must truly be worth it just like that i've used social science and psychology to reframe fear of failure in four or five ways and the book contains many more and and but i mean that's what can do the same
3: that's what's cool is that you so you've gone through you've taken the nine anti-muses then built like solution sets around them give us one on um inundation so somebody that's feeling overwhelmed uh that they really just feel like they're over they're overbooked they're over capacity
8: you bet uh, one of the most powerful ways I talk about in the book is, you know, um, data tells us that oftentimes people become inundated. It's and I'll say this gently, it's in part their own fault. Yeah, oh, yeah. Because they haven't learned how to push back. And I, God, I am. This is one of the things I, I had to work on, Matt, in my my corporate life, was figuring out how to push back. But pushing back on requests for new work from chain of command, that's not easy. It's easy enough for me to say to do that but it's not easy. So I offer some, you know, some tips for your listeners on, on how to, how to push back. And I'm going to offer three really powerful ways to push back and still look good doing it. Let's the first place, you know, is when a boss is requesting new work, you, you come from a place of accountability and in, in saying no and pushing back. And what I mean by that is you lay out and you visualize your workload on paper. And what, what turns out to be true is oftentimes managers that request new work, truth be told, they probably really don't have that much of an idea of what you do day to day. In many cases, bosses have lost touch and they have lost sight of how overcommitted you may be or how overcommitted they have made you. And if you can lay out on paper, look, these are all the projects that I'm working on. Now, if you want me to take this on, I just want you to understand that project X will suffer while I'm working on new project Z that you've given me. Now I, You still exude positivity. You still exude excitement for the total portfolio of work. But as you're raising awareness of your workload, you're making it very clear that, okay, so I'm not saying no because I'm lazy. I'm saying no because something else is going to suffer, and I'm accountable for delivering results on those other things. Mm. A very powerful way to enroll your boss in the work that they've just added on. Uh, Another one, you know, very popular now. Matt, have you ever heard the term uh, yes and?
6: Yeah,
3: yeah. Yes, and and then you, you give the yeah, you give the other option.
8: That's right. Yeah. That's very popular. I have a counter to that. Hmm. I like to say no, but and what I mean by that is give a different yes to a request. And and what happens is you can say yes in more than more ways than one. So even if a boss says, you know, hey, I really need you to take on this project, I need to have it done within three days rather than answer that, you know, people pleasing tendency in you to, to say, Okay, I'll do it. Yeah, I got it. You can give a different yes. You can say, well, you know what? I'm not going to be able to do that, turn that around for you in three days. But I can work with Mary in accounting to help you get that project done in time. Or I can work with the agency who needs that project from you, and I can buy you a few more days so I can get it done in time. You give a different yes rather than just saying an outright no. What most of us really struggle with, Is just giving a blunt no and leaving it at that.
3: Right. Well, and that's one of the things that I I think that your book can give hope is that no matter what the problem or whatever the anti-muse is, the thing that's actually taking away your enjoyment, there are solutions to it. And you – again, through Scott's book, you don't need to go find all of your own solutions. The book Find the Fire, Ignite Your Inspiration, and Make Work Exciting Again – Go find a book like that as a resource and, and start hammering away on your little issues, on your own little lack of inspiration moments, those things that disengage you. I think there's power there. I really do. And especially in power and learning to that it's your life, folks. We need to just start solving it and taking care of it uh, one little, you know, uninspiring thing at a time. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Our goal is to help you be the good in the world. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. It's time to go to our Empty News segment with the
4: Empty News anchor, Jeffrey Liam Simpson. Well, thank you. Thank you, Jeff. So, uh, what would you do if you were caught using a fake ID? Where would you go? Where would you run? Where would you hide? If I was caught or if I wanted to use a fake ID? If you were caught using a fake ID? I would just go to my mom's house. Mom makes everything okay,
3: doesn't she? And
4: mom says no one ever visits her, so I'm pretty sure I'll never get caught. (laughs) Well, authorities say a man accused of trying to rent a car in Delaware Sometimes I forget Delaware is a place Using fake ID was caught hiding in a trash can Really? Delaware State Police said 23 year old Devontae Williams the trash tried to rent a car on Wednesday. Police say employees realized Williams matched the description of someone suspected of attempting to use a fake ID earlier that day at another rental car location. <laughs> Police say Williams fled when a trooper told him to stop, then was found in the trash. Always after check the trash. Foot chase.
6: <laughs> that's,
3: that's bad luck for him. How embarrassing. Yeah. you got it. How many times on the show do we have to tell people this? You've got to plan ahead. Plan your escape. Don't just jump into any garbage
4: can. Can I bring this to a personal level? I've never used a fake ID, and I, I like to think I'd never hidden in a trash can. I'll have to think about that for yeah. a minute. Yeah. Um, but when I was younger, my brothers and I decided we were going to go. Well, I should say my brothers decided I was young you enough. Young. I was just yeah. tagging along. They decided they were going to uh, toilet paper somebody's house, right? So it's somewhere close by in the neighborhood. So we go and we're toilet papering it. We're in the middle of the act. And it's got to be midnight or 1 in the morning. And somebody that lived in that cul-de-sac shows up. They drive down the street. And so, you know, we did what other boys that age would do. And you say, scram! Everybody go! Scram! Scram! So we all start running off in our different directions. Yeah. My older brother is running a little bit ahead of me and he hides in these bushes. Yeah. So he didn't hide in the trash can. He hid in these bushes. And I thought, okay, I'll play it cool cuz this guy was catching up to me in his yeah. car. I'll play it cool and act, you know, like I'm just taking a stroll just out for a groovy walk know, at a- 1 in the morning. An 8-year-old at 8 in the morning taking a groovy stroll. Yeah. <laughs> didn't work. He pulled over and he started yelling at me. And I don't handle this type of thing well. Confrontation. I remember when Terry yelled at you. Yeah. And so he's like, hey, what were you doing? Who who are you? What's your name? And I gave up my name and all of the names of my brothers. (laughs) I turned us all in (laughs) while my older brother was hiding in the bushes. See, but that you're the
3: conscience of the family. And you're the one that gave them all five to ten. Good job, Jeff. (laughs) Hey, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, Leanna Tan will be joining us. She's going to go on a little uh, tangent about a flat tire. Is there sexism in, uh, in helping those that are stranded on the side of the road? I think Leanna believes there is. This is the Matt Townsend Show up next. Welcome back. We are in studio with Leanna Tan. Tan is one of our, uh, our ancient senior producers here at the Matt Townsend Show. And That's she... something
4: you should probably never say to a woman, by the way
3: ancient. Yeah. Yeah, but I think Leanna's different. You know, we, we used to call her Liana forever, and then she corrected that. And now we get that right. So we, we've given her the great opportunity to be um, one who could just go off on a tangent. A Leanna Tan Tangent. Yes. And so talk about your little experience with a flat tire.
2: Yeah. Um, so over the weekend, I went to Idaho. Yeah. And was to visit some friends and, you know, have some fun there. And on my way back, I was on the freeway and all of a sudden started getting wobbly. A little and wobbly. Like, but I remained calm.
3: Yeah, you did. You breathed Collected. through your nose, right?
2: Yeah. Pulled over to the side of the road. Cool. You know, like a pro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then got out and found out I had a flat tire and... um Yeah, it was uh, (laughs) it was a fun experience because I was in good company. Oh really? um... What's his name? (laughs) So.
3: (laughs) Okay, okay, I get it.
2: (laughs) But I did record the whole experience for you, so you can.
3: Did you really? So we can go through your entire experience of having a flat tire.
2: Yeah, you can listen to it right now. Here at the side of the road because things felt a little wobbly and what's the diagnosis? Like
5: we blew out our
0: back
2: right tire. Now let's do this! You wanna do it? Okay, yeah, what do I do?
0: Just start spinning it. Not, not that much. <laughs> this part, yeah, you'll want to go right. Am
2: I going left? Yes. Hold it here? I've never seen this part of my car. Ow. So what am I looking for?
0: Go ahead and use the full
2: lever. Where is it supposed to fit? Like over here somewhere? You're covered in straw stuff. Is it attractive? Where's the bug? Ooh, the bug is going in your bag. I think I'm gonna rip my pants.
0: And we do need the wrench to get off the lug nuts. We don't have that. We're <laughs> just gonna lift it up
5: and say.
2: I don't know if we have a wrench.
5: Okay. Uh, let's 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 find out that. Okay, other.
2: let's look. We're scouring the car again for a wrench. Oh, I found a hidden something. Yeah, I've already tried that. Oh, one. never mind. We have like the molding of the tool kit with zero tools in it. I do have a monopod, some old bracelets. I don't think we have one. Hey Bobby, it's okay. If we get stuck out here, I have my 72-hour kit with a bunch of dehydrated food. I don't know if that's
0: good or not. <laughs> I mean, what's in here?
2: A variety of meals. It looks simple to pre- Oh, prepare? You have to prepare this? Dang it! Well, we can have dried savory Black beans and rice. I'll just try to flag someone down. Do we flag down this person? Do I just wave them? Help us! They're going left. Our 72 hour kit though. Somebody's gonna steal our dried beans. Should I bat my eyes? Is this a good wave? Oh look, somebody's helping us. Oh, 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 oh no. Is this guy gonna help us? Uh, Let's try this one person. They look friendly. What about this person? I'm just waving my arm. You know, I thought this would be easier. I think this waving technique is not working.
0: Let's try an experiment, Leanna. Okay. Okay, so see if...
5: If I leave, if someone stops, and then if that doesn't work, we'll give you maybe three minutes. And
0: if no one stops there, then I'll switch you spots. see if it was just the scare factor, if I'm just too grizzled of a person to have anyone like, oh man, he's just too rugged to stop
2: for. (laughs) Um, Okay, I'll try it, go. Here I am, venturing out alone. Minute number one, let's see if I can flag anyone down by myself, bat my eyelashes. Oh, oh look, oh wow, I think they're stopping. Wow, it's like the fifth person. Oh, oh, I got three people to stop. Holy cow, we made three new friends. Hey, thanks. Hi. Hi, I'm sorry. I guess I look pretty helpless out
3: there. It worked. Turn it up sideways, and then there
9: you go. See if this will fit in there. Good? Okay, get her up.
2: Thank Thank you so much. This is great. So I need to buy a wrench.
3: Yeah, maybe you need to buy more tires.
2: Yeah, well, so apparently when I was with a guy... They would, no one would stop for us. But within 30 seconds when I was alone, they all came – three people. Actually, I think a total of five people stopped for us. So.
3: Wow. Did you get any of their numbers?
2: Uh, I was with a guy.
3: Okay. okay yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> but
2: I did learn how to change a tire. I mean, you just go to the side of the road and w- you wave.
3: Yeah. <laughs> you could also just get like a, a, a company that could come help you. Mm. If you want to do that too But uh, That's interesting news I did not know I don't I don't know what I would do What, what does a guy do If he and doesn't And he
2: bought me a wrench Just so you know Your friend Yeah
3: How romantic Great lesson. Then he bought you a ring First a wrench Then a ring And then back to the wrench The rest of your life um, Lots of great insight From Leanna Tan And her tangents Thanks Leanna Appreciate it We'll continue the journey This is the Matt Townsend Show Helping you be the good in the world
0: this is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter
1: at Dr. Matt Show.
0: Call the show at 855 chat BYU.
1: This is the Matt Townsend Show.
2: Dr. Matt Townsend Now on BYU Radio.
0: BYU
4: Radio.
3: Good morning, friends. Top of the morning to you. My oh my happy Thursday. And a uh, it's it's actually this there's this breathe this breath of relief. Post-World Series game.
4: Now you can kind of move on. I thought you were going to say breath of fresh air, and I think that's because I just put in some Altoids. Yeah, no. No,
5: that's not it. Um, It just feels like... Or or you said that right as I walked in the room. Ooh. Breath of fresh air. Uh, Oh, it's Terry. I I actually said breath of
3: relief. Oh. (sighs) Because now the World Series is over, I can relax. Jeff and I were just talking about the fact that he's been watching baseball for seven months. Right. Yeah, it's insane. It's crazy. The best thing is just wait. Don't watch any baseball. Yeah, and then just watch a little baseball at the end of the season.
4: So I deleted my MLB TV app. I deleted uh, on my phone and my TV. Really, I deleted my Fox Sports Go app, my TBS app. So your app, I can just, you're losing I your can, apps. I can get out and be done
5: with it. You just put it in a folder and forget about it for a few months. No,
4: now I <laughs> need the space catchers on my home page. Catchers
5: report in February, so oh, okay.
4: see, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna become as invested emotionally. As I was this year. Next How about year? with NBA? Are you now going to jump to the NFL or the NBA? No, I really only follow baseball.
3: Yeah, I think that's the smarter way to do it. If you want to stay married, <laughs> in you know,
4: not that your wife couldn't love. No, could, I'm I'm sure she would prefer it if I followed the NFL because instead of 150 plus games, the NFL has what? Twenty? Sixteen. 16? Sixteen. See, but it feels like
5: twenty if there's no playoffs. Yeah. It can keep going. The Terry's a guy that pretty much watches all of it. Some more than others. I, I have dialed back quite a bit because, you know, there's kids. And it's the, the wife needs – I call her the wife. She needs help because, um, the, you know, handful of kids and she's got things she needs to accomplish. And yeah. It looks bad when she's up there trying to take care of things and I'm downstairs with my feet up watching TV saying, I'm working. Yeah, because yeah. that's the problem. You can say everything you're doing is working. Yeah. It's great. It's a great job.
4: But you make her not, tar yeah. the roof, mm.
6: yeah. That was And weird. clean
3: the wallpaper, uh-huh. yeah, yeah. And beat the rugs. Do you remember when you took all your carpet
4: out and then you beat it, and then you had to go put down all the carpet back? Right. She stained the deck. Yeah. I said, do that. I got to go Didn't in here. did she build and the this. deck too? No, we had someone do that. I think she dropped some grape juice on it, and that's how she, you know, stained it. That's right. There yeah, go. the landing on that was a little. So yeah, you have to you have to <laughs> figure
5: lot. out a happy medium, right? Yeah. I think she enjoys football more because it's like once a week, basically. Well, but there's Saturday. Well, that's all call day. that's college. Yeah, you can do a little of that and a little, you know. And you just you, and, you do and, it and football's not really
3: once a week. No, football's no. Monday
5: and Thursday. Well, I don't and Friday watch. I don't usually Saturday watch those and games. And Okay. Those games, uh, histor- well, last couple of years have kind of been downers. Mm. Occasionally they're interesting, but most of the time not. And you, you have to do it in moderation. If you do it too much, then yeah, the wife starts getting See, mad. Because she's like, you need to be part of the family, and I'm not there. So. And you're like, I'm not even sure this is my family. Right.
3: <laughs> I mean, back to and, DNA testing. And
5: in turn, she'll sit there and act sort of interested when I go off on something that I find interesting. Which usually is involved, oh. and there's like a superhero See, but that's in there. how you make
3: yeah. a relationship work right Let's, we're making you guys are making the relationship work, which I think is exciting and, really yeah it's exciting it's it's a give and a take it's a oh, yeah, sure. it's a it's an ebb and a flow it's a it's y- you watch less football, and she pretends to care about football that's called love she did tell me before we got married, she goes, "Oh, I love sports, yeah, they always say that, yeah, I love fishing. Such Let's go fishing. And then you take. Have you ever been fishing? No, but it, if I could be with you and we could just talk. Well, no, you can't talk when you fish.
5: We go to a baseball game, <laughs> it hits the seventh inning. She's like, Can we go? Yeah. I'm like, why? Because this is when my dad yeah. would always leave the seventh inning. We would just take off. I'm well, like, that's what, what the seventh inning stretch is for. It's a convenient way to leave. Yeah. Is
3: that, Everyone's oh,
5: standing up, so you just walk out the door at that point? Yeah. Huh. I didn't know that's what that was for. Hey, uh,
3: today we're going to have another uh, visit from Karen Mangum. Yes. Tanner Mangum, the quarterback of BYU football's mother, is a nutritionist, and uh, we love to have her on the show because she helps us, hopefully, eat healthier. What's the plan? I mean, she does her part. The problem is, on our way to and from work, there's other establishments that right. try to ruin our arteries. That's mm. true.
4: I'm going to the movies tonight, so I'll be eating popcorn there. Of course you will. Yeah. And you were you didn't have breakfast, so you were looking for a donut at five stores this morning, and there's no donuts. No donut place open at six thirty in the morning. Come on. You're supposed to be open at five in the morning. They're making the donuts. They're
3: open. They're just not. The doors aren't open. They're in making the donuts for the grand opening at 9. Sorry. If this was California, they'd be open at 5 in the morning. Well, the reality is Karen Mangum would say you shouldn't probably be having a donut in the morning. Wendy's wasn't open, and they serve breakfast. You shouldn't be having Wendy's either. You should be having What's a homemade you? omelet. A bowl of fruit. With Some cottage cheese.
4: Yeah, but... Haven't you ever woken up and you have a, a vision in your mind of what you're going to eat? Yes, the same thing every day for the last five years. Right. But once you have that picture <laughs> in your mind, <laughs> yeah. nothing else will suffice. Like once wow. you've got it ingrained in your mind, I'm having a donut today. If you don't get the donut, you're just not eating. Boy. Wow, we got to work on that. Yeah, this seems like an emotional issue. There, we have got to. It, was, to it may or may not this. have been emotional eating. <laughs> yeah, it was. Had, I I had, it. had It's because you, you lost the Dodgers. It's lost. Like, it. like you were pouting. Uh, let's uh, let's get to the headlines. See if there's
3: anything else we could be thinking about other than donuts.
5: Hmm. The man accused of plowing into people on a Lower Manhattan bike path Tuesday allegedly was inspired by an ISIS videos that he watched, many of them, on his cell phone. According to a criminal complaint against him, he did this in the name of ISIS, and along with other items recovered at the scene, with some notes and further indicate that, uh, in- indicate that John Miller, deputy commissioner of intelligence and counterterrorism for the New York Police Department. And they said in a press conference, uh, he appears to have followed almost exactly to a T the instructions that ISIS put out on its social media channels before the instructions to their uh, followers on how to carry out such an attack, similar to Nice in France and a couple other places. London had one. Yeah, yeah. Similar. You get a vehicle and you do that. It's uh, pretty uh, low low I mean, budget. It, no, it, no, no, That's what he's there.
3: watching. I mean, just think about your life. If all your life is about harming people. And all you really want to watch are ISIS videos. You've, you've just reached a point of
5: life where... And they said originally, they, looking into his background, he came here for a better life, brought his family, somehow didn't work out for some reason, and then he wanted to go back. And that so was what he was back. talking to people about, and then this happened. Go, so go, go. Says the suspect was charged Wednesday with providing support to ISIS and violence and destruction of motor vehicles. Hmm. Uh, in advance of the bill, the tax bills release some uh, some of the information got out. The tax uh, Republicans' tax plan is out now. They're okay. slowly getting the information out. It says the tax. It's called the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. Okay. Oh, that's what they ended up calling it. Yeah, Not cut, cut, cut. Yeah, President Trump wanted the Cut 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 Act. They went with this other name. Yeah, they cut Uh, that. they, They went a couple different directions from President Trump. So the name, they went a different direction. They're saying a source shared the plan. It would permanently lower the corporate tax rate to 20%. Hmm. which the president trump wanted 15. Yeah. So there may be a point of contention there. The limit home interest deductions to loans up to $500,000, the bill's would also increase standard deduction for individuals and households, repeal the alternative minimal, minimum tax and increase the child tax credit to $1,600. The House GOP bill also repealed the estate tax in 2024. Wow. Which I know is a big deal for yeah. some. The proposal would make no changes to retirement savings options, including 401Ks and individual retirement accounts because, well, these guys going want to get reelected. Yeah. Start messing with retirement, people get mad. So don't do, do that. Do not touch the 401K. Other news, House Minority Leader Nancy Pelosi is reportedly annoyed with Democrats who are pushing for the impeachment of Donald Trump. Political reports that Pelosi told her fellow Democratic lawmakers that she reached out to uh, mega-donor Tom Steyer. Who is running uh, television ads calling for Trump's impeachment? Have you seen those ads? No. He's like sitting on a ottoman or something in front of his, uh, in front of a. Uh, it looks like what is it? A fireplace? And he's just talking about how we need to impeach this guy. We need to impeach this guy. They run on cable news all day. <laughs> it's, it's not going to happen. No, too no. much to get done. He says to tell. Him, and so she reached out to this guy to tell him to knock it off. Knock it off! She reportedly believes that Democrats' best hope at regaining control of the House in 2018 is to act like no-drama Democrats. There you go. Just do your job. No-drama Democrats. Just relax. (laughs) Keep babysitting everybody. It it is a pipe dream to uh, try to get impeachment. There's too much that has to fall into place for that to happen. Right.
3: Well, I mean, but we, hey... What about Mueller? I mean, Mueller, right, sure. there's a,
5: you never know. You're going to find a lot of people, and it's going to cause headaches. Hey, but, but instead of spending all the time running out the clock, let's yeah. get something done. Right. they just, yeah. That's what, so no drama Democrats. Okay. That's what she wants. I like it. And tell that dude on TV to knock it off. these infomercials don't work the justice department has identified more than six members of the russian government involved in hacking the democratic national committee's computers and swiping sensitive information that became public during the 2016 presidential election according to people familiar with the investigation according to the wall street journal uh, prosecutors and agents have assembled evidence to charge the russian officials and could bring a case next year Uh, the people said discussions about the case are in the early stages so oh. apparently they're zeroing in on who broke into the yeah. DNC and stole stuff. Narrow. Oh, that's good. And maybe they're- they need to figure out why the DNC didn't have more robust internet protect- protection to their network. But well, whatever. especially after the FBI warned them, didn't they? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. And they just. Yeah. Uh, and finally, a Florida couple got an extra treat on Halloween: a baby Frankenstein. Ooh! Make that Oscar Gary. Frankenstein, who made his entrance into the world four days late after a fourteen hours of labor Tuesday. Wow, fourteen hours! Their last name is really Frankenstein. Yeah, parents Kyle and Jessica it's Frankenstein. Frankenstein. Oh, Frankenstein. Whatever. They told the news outlet the baby Frankenstein's weight six ounces, six pounds, nine ounces. He's twenty inches long. That's a small baby. Uh, well, my well, my children were all eight pounds, so it's like, come on, yeah. But he's a long baby. Eat some food. And force, twenty inches. Fourteen hours of labor. God, get out already. Well, seven
6: come on. of that what? was, but, come but,
5: on. you know, that, she,
3: yeah, she was probably saying the same thing. Right. She probably was done But with it's it. not, just so you know, I don't know if you know how this works, but hmm. the baby doesn't, the baby doesn't like crawl out. No, but you know.
4: Yeah. Seven of those 14 disaster. hours were stitching, you know, several right. different body parts on. It's oh, has, like They had to wait for the lightning yeah. to come in. Okay. You're right. Yeah. Nature. O- What's right his on name? Nature. Oscar.
5: Oscar Gary Frankenstein. The baby's grandmother, Jennifer Frankenstein, says the family is super excited. She said Oscar is her first grandchild and the Frankenstein family's first baby born on Halloween. Although she does have a 13-year-old daughter who shares the same birthday as the Frankenstein author, Mary Shelley. It's alive! Yeah. <laughs>
4: what, a, what a bad curse. So do you change your name if your last name is Frankenstein? No! Come on, that's the coolest name. Really? Yeah. Like, do you... Carlos, Oscar, (laughs)
3: Frankenstein,
4: take – I mean, like that's a – It's cool. Come on. Is it? Yes. I think you'd be obligated to be really into Halloween though with that last name.
3: Yeah. You'd have to be. Like what if you really were – what did you dress up like, Frankenstein?
4: (laughs) Mr. Frankenstein. Kind of the same way that I really have to be into The Simpsons. Yeah. Yeah, but that fits you. Yeah. But it's also – happens to be a really funny show. So. yeah. Hmm. Thanks, Bart. Or was um, at one point. I don't watch it anymore.
5: Now, I have
3: I've just,
4: just did their Halloween of Treehouse of Horrors episode. I heard it was pretty funny. Really? When did they do that if the World Series was going on? It's on my DVR. Hmm. By the way, back to the World Series. Not only did the Astros beat
3: uh, the Dodgers. Jeff's, Jeff's yeah. Dodgers right. um, or Brother Simpson's Dodgers, True. <laughs> but um, Carlos Correa proposed. I saw that. I saw really? Video. Yeah. It was. It, it's actually a pretty cool thing. So they're interviewing him, as uh, what a great job he did. He and he actually seemed pretty nervous yeah. about the interview. Was kind but of I think fidgety. I think he was actually thinking. Then he just turned and grabbed his uh, had his girlfriend come over and bada boom bada bing he was on a knee proposing to Daniela Rodriguez. Do you think he would have proposed to her had they lost? No. But see, now the cool thing about Eventually. To, today, now, now they both get a ring. They yeah.
4: probably would have broken
3: up. Mm. By the way, she was the 2016 Miss Texas USA. Right. Huh. And 2016
5: totally surprised. Baseball has its privileges? Yeah. Okay.
3: So, again, a very loving family moment in sports. Mm. I guarantee if my wife had seen that, yeah. she would have loved the World Series. Really? That mm-hmm. one moment?
5: Yeah. Hmm. Interesting.
3: That would have probably made the entire series four hour, worth it. The entire four-hour game worth yeah. it. Mm-hmm. Because my wife will watch that show with a rose. Hmm. Yeah, Danielle. Here's her, here's her glamour <laughs> shot. Yeah. <laughs> she Did didn't you notice Jeff like... pulls up her glamour shot like, look. <laughs> Bam. I'm looking at her right here. Yeah, she's fine. <laughs> she's like... That's funny. isn't um, she's, I, not, she's not pageant ready on the field, but why no, would but, you be? I mean, can you imagine? You just think you're celebrating the World Series victory yeah. with your husband to be your, your, your boyfriend. And the next thing you know, he's proposing in front of national television and right. an empty L.A. Dodger stadium. Because everyone tried to beat the traffic. Again, which I think is just not great sportsmanship. I, it's what grandma taught me. You stay to celebrate. You People. celebrate say, the victory.
4: Let's say somebody... Yeah, uh, I would. I would stay. Okay. And right. because
3: they left early to get into L.A. traffic, they also missed the proposal.
6: Mm. No, because
5: it's on it's on social media.
6: They can watch they it
3: there. And they missed Springer. What's his name? Not Jerry, but the, the MVP, Springer. Okay. He won a truck from Chevy. Well, yeah.
4: What if you had a horse in a race, and the horse was not only defeated, but... Somehow died in the race. Oh, that's dark. Would you really stay there and watch the ceremony following that? Well, nobody died. Well, last I, I either have
3: to. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, was, the hopes and dreams the of a season, maybe, dreams. but yeah. No, but if it were the if it were the Kentucky Derby, yes. And if my horse didn't die, but it lost, I would still sit and watch the. Victory celebration. That's good sportsmanship. Then
4: you'd have a little talk with your horse after the match. Fire my jockey. (laughs) See, I would stand there and think,
5: "What's up with these hats? Why do they wear these hats?"
4: What's up? Uh, Then all of a sudden, you'd be a glue salesman if your horse left. Wow. See, we go (laughs) dark. (laughs) It went so dark. Man,
5: wow! I don't know what to say after that. Blueha. Wow. Okay. It's a disgruntled horse. Yeah, I mean, I feel
3: bad now. I mean, we were talking about a beautiful proposal.
5: Yeah, and the next thing we know, we're making glue. Yeah, it's just inappropriate. It's just he doesn't. Now he, he did say something about I'm ready to the this the the baseball player as He went to propose. Yeah. He said something about now I'm about to make the best decision of my entire life or something like how, that. see how romantic or plan is for that? my future.
3: Yeah. I don't know. Oh, it was beautiful, and she
5: like immediately starts crying.
3: Yeah. And she, it's a. It really. I don't care what you say. It's just incredible.
5: I thought maybe he wouldn't drop to a knee. Yeah.
4: And I thought, ooh, got to get on a knee, and then he dropped. You like, got to get plan. on a good knee. Plan. It's yeah. not
3: a
5: proposal
4: without being on a knee. Right. So right. you have people in baseball taking a knee now. Yeah, it's different. Though. Wow.
3: It's different. That's
4: for proposals.
3: Um, so. Yeah. Hmm. There it is. She's just freaking out, and her family, and. Or not family, but her friends are all there. And, oh, it's just beautiful. Right. So I was thinking maybe we could do something special for our wives on the show.
5: I'm going to vacuum today. Okay. <laughs> do you travel? Can you come to my place? No, I only uh, vacuum my house. We just bought a new vacuum. Ooh, really? Yeah, it's a very nice model. Detachable, it everything. It better be a Hoover. Oh, No
4: don't say oh no No, my mom sold hoovers for years no i know but no we didn't buy a hoover we just had a vacuum salesman come to our doorstep yesterday did you buy well the first thing he did was he handed me he he reached out his hand and he had like this toolkit. yeah he's like this is for you i said why (laughs) oh we're giving out toolkits to all people wearing light blue collared shirts i'm like okay okay, what's going on yeah shut the door and then I said, uh, "No, we'd really not be interested. And in, we just bought a, a new vacuum." And he said, "Well, that's okay. Can I be totally honest with you? If you let me come in and do, if we do a free carpet cleaning, I get thirty dollars." I was like, "I would prefer you didn't." Ooh! Wow! Wow! I was nice about it. I said it with a smile, but I've been through that. I've been through that rigmarole before. Yeah. You know, the trick to a real
3: good vacuum salesman is they they throw dirt on your floor as fast as they can. Right.
4: Yeah. Because once the dirt's up. down there, then like, hey, let me just grab my vacuum right here, and we'll just clean that thing right up. My grandpa would sell cleanser. He would, uh, he would, yeah, they'd open the door. As mm-hmm. soon as they did that, he would mess up their floor real quick, and then he would immediately get down on his hands and knees and start cleaning it. And he sold quite a bit. Oh, I'm sure. And he probably also was arrested three times. <laughs> Again, we start
5: with, what's something nice we can do for our wives today? And it I ends know. up with a vacuum cleaner salesman story. See, see. It's great. Instead, just get on your knee recommit
3: and say babe you're the best thing that's ever happened to me what can I do to serve you today wow
5: aren't you giving up a lot of power there exactly a lot of influence in the, yeah, in the relationship that's, that's just that just shows you're in you're the, you're the real deal but she kind of knows I'm in I vacuum her house would, yeah. would I be in if I wasn't concerned about the the cleanliness and well, tidiness you also vacuum
3: of, your house well yeah but and you she, like a clean and tidy house
5: she knows there's a certain level of you know I'm good I just sit over here in the corner I'm fine
3: I no? feel like I'm alone here in trying <laughs> to drag you to to a higher level of living. And I mean that in the best way possible. Really? It felt like you meant it that way. <laughs> it's really for the listeners. We're gonna we're gonna have to come back to this great topic. But up next, we're gonna be talking with Karen Mangum about how to eat healthy and really how do you start to create habits of eating healthier, especially with your family, your kids. You know, there's so many dynamics at play. Straight ahead, that's the Matt Townsend Show. Have you ever uh, taken a really strong look at how you came to uh, approach food in your life? Have you thought through the ideas of, uh, of, you know, what what is what does food mean to you? Why do you think about it the way you do, Um, or is it just something that you use to get energy? It's it's a really interesting concept, and here to talk to us about how uh, How we eat and how to learn to eat in a healthier way and healthy eating is Karen Mangum Karen is a licensed and registered dietitian, seasoned recipe developer, food blogger, and nutrition consultant she 's the author and producer of inside Karen 's Kitchen, which is a healthy food blog. You can find it at the website inside karen's kitchen and uh, she also uh, is a mother of five almost grown kids uh, has a wonderful husband Michael and happens just so happens to be uh, the mother of Tanner Mangum who by the way Karen had a great game last week.
0: He did. We were so proud of him, proud of all of the teams.
3: Wasn't that a that were were you were you at the stadium?
0: Yes, we were there. It was a what great a day. day too. Yeah. It was a great day. I
3: got a little sun suntan, feeling really good. But uh <laughs> on the uh,
0: left side of your face. Exactly.
3: <laughs> Actually I'm on the right side of my face. I had one oh, ear that's gonna probably have cancer someday. Um talk Karen, talk to me about this because I I have not uh, some of the questions that I read on your on your blog and stuff, I mean, and just and thinking about our, our, how we eat, I've never thought about how I learned to eat.
0: You know, as a dietitian, I've been a dietitian for over thirty four years, and I work with individuals, and you realize that everybody's view of food, everybody's emotional attachment to food starts in their home, how they grew up. What was the role of food in your family? You know, there's lots of different styles of eating. For example, some people um, eat restaurant style, meaning um, mom or dad plates the food in the kitchen and brings it over to the table. There is family style where all the bowls of food are placed in the middle of the table and everybody just goes for it, and scoops up what they want. And and that creates interesting dynamics huh. with that alone um, because I- then, you know, portion control and how, how you eat – like, did you have to race, you know, to get to yeah. portion? Because if you didn't, the food would be gone. And and that creates maybe a feeling of scarcity or of, um, you know, not not uh, lack of security. So even that has some influence on how you eat later in adulthood.
3: It really it's, it also says as a parent, we need to be a lot more conscientious about and I guess intentional about how we are doing this.
0: Exactly, because um, food can be uh, hopefully a great source of energy, of um, enjoyment and pleasure. Um, but we got to keep it in balance. And unfortunately, our culture doesn't support that. We don't. The culture doesn't practice what they preach. Um, we preach, you know, health and fitness, and yet the culture suggests that we need to eat large volumes of food that it needs to be high fat, high sugar to taste good. Um, uh, and that food is a reward. Um, and, and we learned that as, as kids too. Um,
6: That's true. Like Cause you, you might get
0: your dessert.
6: Well,
3: and dessert or, is the reward, right? I mean, even the way we organize it, dessert is always a reward.
0: And so therefore in adulthood, You may always feel like when you accomplish something hard, like eating vegetables, you know, metaphorically speaking, like if you accomplish something great at work or um, you climb that mountain or whatever, you're going to reward with food. So (laughs) that's an automatic response that we've learned as as kids with food.
3: Well, and we just had uh, Halloween, and how many parents Mm -hmm. now are using a little snack or a treat as a reward for the kid?
0: Uh-huh. That's how and we're going to
3: met out there all there of their or, eating, yeah. You
0: know, and the mom will use that bag of candy as a, you know, the discipline. Like if if you don't get your, don't make your bed, you won't get your Halloween candy. Right. You know, holy so, cow. Yeah, holy cow. You know, I I
3: remember you just brought back a tragic memory, Karen. Me sitting in one of my primary classes uh, at church with a wonderful teacher, and she had like, uh, I don't know, three feet of um, licorice, like a licorice rope. And yes. if we would sit in the class and be quiet, then we would get our whole licorice rope. But if we were talking, she'd start cutting off licorice. <laughs> and now I have this thing where, like, I, I better eat my licorice really quickly the minute I get it. I'm eating it before she starts cutting it.
0: You know, if if it does create good behavior, I suppose that's a positive thing. But I'd rather it not be with food. Yeah, you know, right. Would it be cool if it'd be some like you know maybe a little toy or something or some kind of
3: play time? You know, right.
0: Yeah, a behavior that you could get to go get a drink of water if you were behaving, you know, just something like that that didn't involve food.
3: Right. Another another way we use it that I know you talk a lot about is as a stress reliever. I mean, I I can it's either probably, like take a Valium yeah. or I can go get a bowl of macaroni. <laughs> you know what I mean? And they to me they work the same way.
0: Well, it it is true uh, unfortunately it's probably the number one reason for overeating that i've observed in my 34 years as a dietitian is that people use food as a stress relief remember i mean if we think about food it's it's pleasurable it's immediate it doesn't talk back to you it's very available I, it's just so easy to use as a quick you know check down or Um, Help me relax or help me forget, help me distract uh, from this very thing that's bugging me. But in reality, food eaten like that in that way almost creates more stress, um, more added burden, more added guilt to the stress that's already on you because you feel like, oh, I shouldn't have done that. Even though it tasted great at the time, it didn't last, you know, it doesn't help with the stress. In fact, it makes it worse.
3: Right. Well, now, yeah, now you have the added stress of the guilt and the needing to, you know, go exercise more and, yeah, the well, doubt.
0: And so in that respect, I do wish people did use a little more exercise as, as a way to deal with their stress. But so that's the reality is that food is often used as the replacement for more appropriate ways of dealing with stress and uh um, and that's one way that we use food for reasons that have nothing to do with being hungry. Mm.
3: And a lot of it's it's chemical, right? It's it's a chemical thing because my body feels good for a minute getting a rush of sugar mm-hmm. or a rush of, you know, whatever the chemistry is.
0: No, no question about it. There are um, endorphins produced um, uh, eating, and particularly high fat, high sugar foods do trigger those chemicals in the brain that mimic, in fact, the very chemicals of like a drug addiction Mm. um, where we get, you know, that um, feeling of high and euphoria and we like it. And because food is so available, I don't have to like go, you know, rob a pharmacy to get my food. I, you know, um, I can just go to the grocery store and pick up a, a jar of Ben and Jerry's.
3: Mm hmm. It's so true. Um, you know, the other one you talk about uh, is is as a social connector. I grew up with a family that we eat as a social experiment, and we uh, we just bring around a lot of food, and as long as there's food, you just keep talking, uh-huh. and everyone just and talks if around no the food, table. Everybody
0: goes home. That's right. Yeah. yeah, it's
3: like okay, bye, mom, thanks. But we and it, it really it, you would always talk around the table, but you'd also be eating around the table.
0: I don't think you're alone, Matt. That is so common in the American culture. I don't think it's different in a lot of other cultures either. I think food is the common denominator. We all need to eat, and therefore why not all come together because we all need to eat. Um, And so I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I'm just saying that if food is generally used for reasons that um, have nothing to do with being hungry over and over and and um, an abuse of that that can be a big, big problem mm. um,
3: so, so we got we've got to, and, we, we've got to find another way to to kind of center everyone as they're eating.
0: Well, I think we have to recognize that yes, food can be a part of the gathering, but is that the main reason we get together? you know, or is it because we want to be together, we want to catch up, we want to. You know, that it, it's more about the relationships rather than the food. Mm-hmm. And it, that sometimes has to do with your attitude and how you look at it. So, again, it, you know, I'm the first to suggest I'm a tailgater. I go to football games and I'm going to bring food because that's what, you know, people are expecting. But, um, you know, how we eat the food, how we view um, each other. I mean, that can be that can make it a much more enjoyable experience rather than overeating and um, not paying attention to our relationship. Yeah, no,
3: absolutely. Um, I know, too, uh, you've got some ideas for us, some tools. What are some things that we could make sure we institute when it comes to our eating kind of patterns to make sure we're, we're, we're on a healthier track?
0: Well, there's several things that we can do. First of all, you've got to take inventory, you know, just like we've been talking. Kind of be like a fly on the wall. Watch yourself eat over a period of time. It's very, very interesting to observe yourself, maybe to observe others, um, uh, how you eat and how you use food, how you view it during your day. Um, can you go a period of time without eating, or are you finding yourself getting up and going up and grazing and grabbing a little bit here and there? Um Uh, how fast do you eat? That's probably the number one, is what is your pace of eating? Um, Can you try to slow down? Because it takes a good 15 to 20 minutes for the chemicals, like all those um, appetite hormones, to trigger fullness. And within 15, 20 minutes, you can be eating a lot of food if you're not really slowing down and taking your time.
3: That's so true. So, I mean, like, and, and then so all so of a sudden you're packed.
0: Down, yeah. Um, talk more. Um, maybe even use little utensils, like even baby spoons or appetizer forks. It forces you to really take smaller bites and chew more thoroughly. That's probably one of the a really key thing that I've learned from my weight loss surgery patients. I am a dietitian who helps people who have weight loss surgery, and They have to eat slow. Their their stomachs are small, and they can't pack a lot of food in, so they must take little tiny bites or else they get kind of sick to their stomach. If we were all so blessed, you know, in a way to have that reaction to food, I think we would all slow down much more.
3: Mm, that that uh, i guess leads to the next point is we've got to really listen to your signals your body's sending you right if if you're we out eating your, your yeah you cuz you've got a feedback system but we're at we're like outpacing our feedback system <laughs> <laughs> right we're we're shoving it in so we're, fast we're way ahead of
0: way ahead yeah. and that's where you know the family patterns come into play like if, if a family does the the you know the family style eating, and there's no uh, regulation of you know how much and and how fast people are eating, and they're just trying to get it in so they don't miss out. It totally ignores your natural signals of hunger and fullness. We're born with those signals, and as kids, there tends to be a little more, much better obedience to those signals. Um, kids, as you watch a child eat. They're so good at um, knowing when they're hungry. They'll come in, I'm hungry, you know, and and then they also know very, very well when they're full. Even in the middle, let's say, of a chocolate chip cookie, and they're just done. They put them down, or a baby. A baby starts throwing food. You know that they're done. Yeah. And you're not going to be able to get any more food in them if you try. So kids are very, very good at regulating their food intake, and as a parent, we have to honor that and recognize kids know, kids know when they're full, and how can we, when culture hits the spoon, so to speak, later in our later years, even through um, adolescence and then on into college where, you know, food starts getting, um, where we start abusing food and using it for reasons um, unrelated to hunger and fullness signals. Um, That's
6: when we get into trouble.
3: And uh, it's so weird (laughs) because how many times have I, like, stopped eating, known I was full, but there was still more on the plate. So I'm thinking, well, I'll just – let me just (laughs) – I'm just going to move around. I'm going to stretch my belly out. <laughs> We're so weird. And then it's like must clear plate.
0: Or we just clear force plate. it in. Yeah. You know, yeah. We do. We just force it in. Or we grab that half of the chocolate chip cookie and we eat it anyway. You know, the kid's done, but, ooh, I better finish that off. I don't yeah. want to waste it. You know, but we just do a lot of that. We're not being real obedient to our signals. And, and um, uh, so...
3: That's a big deal. You you also suggest uh, that we also need to – we have to enjoy the taste of it. So spend a little more time appreciating the taste.
0: Oh, yes. And just experiencing uh, because, the taste. Yeah, food is an experience. And the more we do that, the more we can slow down, the more we can appreciate all the senses of food. It's not just taste. Remember, it's smell, so the aromas of the food, even the appearance of the food. Um, you know is it appetizing so as you as I prepare food I want to make sure that there's a lot of color a lot of texture um, different flavors um, it smells good it looks good I can even hear it sometimes you know when it's cooking um, so there's lots of different texture textural or sensorial things related to eating and one of the experiments that I'll do with a, a class is I'll have them take a Oh, a little bit of sugar-free candy. And before we even put it in our mouths, we're we're smelling it. We're we're, um, noticing its textures, its colors. And then you put it in the mouth and you move it around from side to side. Do I eat more in my left side? Do I eat more in my right side? Um, Chewing it. Is it different taste in the front of my mouth versus the back of my mouth? Um, It's a Again, and I don't mean to say we have to spend that much time with every bite, but I think if we take a little more time appreciating more than just the flavor or the taste of food, um, we tend to eat less, um, we slow down. And um, therefore,
3: we're going to be healthier. No, I totally agree. Karen, you're the best and great, great insight. Uh, the website is InsideKaren'sKitchen.com, InsideKaren'sKitchen.com, where you can go in and, and learn all of those uh, rules and ideas and tools to kind of open up your conversations about your food and your eating to a different level. You also can get a lot of wonderful recipes as well. She is the real deal and uh, keeping us healthy uh, one one meal at a time. We'll continue the journey as we bring on a little talk with our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation up next. It's time, folks, to... uh Head down to our good friends at BYU Sports Nation and find out what will be coming up on their show in about ten minutes or so.
9: Spencer and Jerem Hello gentlemen. Hi Matt. Hello. How you doing? How's Jeff doing? Yeah, that's terrible. what we're really oh, concerned about. You know
3: this. what? He is just Did binge he take the
1: day off or is he like, No,
3: he's here, but he's Oh, he's loyal. he's binge eating he's donuts. He's a mess. He's tough. a mess. It's tough. I've been trying to lift him up. I, we had a big discussion today. Like, I'm like, think about the people in Houston that needed that big
9: pick-me-up. Nope. And,
3: no. No, he doesn't want to hear hurt. it. Nope, he doesn't want to hear it. He's down. But yeah, it's tough. <sighs> Correa did get engaged.
1: Yes, he did.
3: That was a cool thing.
1: Way to take away from the moment. <laughs> <laughs> way to, wait to make it about you. Thing and now it's about him. <laughs> Miss Texas USA, yeah. by the way. Nice.
3: And she seems surprised. So the cool thing that day is they both get a ring.
1: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Well, yes, she has more rings than Clayton Kershaw now. Yeah. I saw that joke on Twitter. <laughs> I was like, oh, serious? that's just mean. <laughs> Man, that's what, just mean. what did you think of the game? I mean, it was... Boring! Totally. I wish Clayton Kershaw would have started for the Dodgers. That game stunk. It was... Like the Astros ju- like the game winning hit and run came in the first inning.
3: I know, I missed it.
6: I missed it.
1: This has been an all-time World Series. It was awesome, but it needed yeah. a nice Don't you finish. Think? It needed a really dollop cemented its- yes. Yes. It needed a dollop of drama. <laughs> of drama. Um to really cement itself in baseball history. And it will it'll be there. Yeah. But now it, it was like mm-hmm. I-, I tweeted last night, Dear Dodgers, Please do something. Love Please, all non-Astros fans. <laughs> just and, anything and then to all make these. And then all these Astros fans are like, oh, "No, no, that's great! Stop it!"
3: And they kept getting guys on base. They would get, but they couldn't get anybody in.
1: Yeah, would they strand eight or something? Yeah, not good. That's, I mean, that's not a huge number. It's but number.
3: you know, I mean, even, even if just one, maybe one or two more people could have been hit by a ball.
1: <laughs> something, anything. <laughs> yeah.
3: Because it was.
1: Jeff's, yeah, there yeah there were four or five people. Yeah, four
3: if or five people. If that were the Jeff's
9: case, saying. then Jeff probably wouldn't be feeling Dodger blue today. No, well, exactly.
3: Yeah, he's exactly. he. Jeff likes it when people get hit by balls. <laughs> I don't <laughs> know why. It's a weird, it's a weird thing he does. Um, what did you think about? Uh, well, okay, I've got to ask you this because I'm not going to be talking to you guys tomorrow. Jeffrey will. Mm. Um What we'll be recovered by then? Yeah, I'll be. Yeah, I've we'll got I've good. got a speech tonight with uh the, a mother's convention.
9: Excuses, excuses, And so Matt. you know how A those Mothers' go. convention. Yeah, it's nice. it's
3: yeah it's. It, it is what it is. It is what it is. Bring it,
9: the mothers into this. <laughs> <laughs> I so, thought we were leaving the mothers out of this.
3: <laughs> so what um, what what do you uh, what do you think of Fresno? What's
1: going to um, happen here?
9: Okay, so Jerem, I like something that Jerem does. He throws out the high and
1: low. Okay. Most things, like a... It's like gymnastics scoring. A
9: regression to the mean. Okay, yeah, sure. Right?
1: Great. So what's your best thing and worst thing? You're probably foink, in the middle. foink, get to the yeah. middle. Yeah. So
9: they beat San Diego State and Ooh. held one of the nation's best running backs, Rashad Penny, to next to nothing. Oh, wow. Got a big win. And then the following week, on their home field in Fresno, lost to a really bad UNLV team. Ooh. So it's kind of like, well, who are they? Who am I?
1: Yeah. Is what they're asking. Yes. dear Diary. Yeah. Yeah. They don't yeah. know. They don't know Fresno who they are. Fresno
9: is a capable team. They have a good defense.
1: Yes, they're top 20 in scoring in yards. They have a they good have defense. Two shutouts and a three-point game.
9: Oh, boy. But their offense is mediocre, <laughs> right? They run the ball. They try and take shots over the top. Honestly, the, their ideology reminds me of what BYU wants to do.
3: Interesting.
9: Run the ball and then take shots. Uh-huh.
3: Let, let's Then let's go to the real deal maker. Do they have a mascot that can dance with the dance team?
9: You already know the answer to that. You know what it is? <laughs> no. <laughs>
3: okay, see? Problem solved.
9: Yeah. They have an advantage Cosmo. Cosmo
1: in every matchup no, this I know.
3: season. In fact, it's now everybody's trying to get their mascot to dance like Cosmo, and nobody can do it. They can't Arizona pull it State off.
1: Arizona State sent out a video, and I was like, this isn't even close. Not even close. Stop Not it. Close. Stop like, it. No. You should still try but you're trying stinks
3: and they didn't want me to say this but i'm i'm cosmo
1: that's not true and you know it okay how dare you blaspheme
9: back you? in the
1: back in the 50s <laughs> Ernest l wilkinson president of brigham young <laughs> university at a uh, who who is who is cosmo like at the end of the year they yeah. used to reveal who it is yeah. he pulled off you know the cosmo head and was they were like ah now, now they now they don't do that anymore
3: they don't do it no one's going to know
1: he then proceeded, by the way, to do, like, a bunch of push-ups or something. Really? So so the, the tail, the cougar tail.
3: Mm. By the way, I tried to get a cougar tail at the last game. And? They don't take credit cards. What? I know. Huh? I know. Couldn't do it. Interesting. It's kind of a rip-off. Straight cash, homie? Mm-hmm. Only, they see it's like a cash deal, and mm-hmm. it was out of the back of some guy's car. <laughs>
1: You were in the wrong side of the parking lot. I think
3: I was. Hey, what's on your show today, gentlemen?
1: Today is loaded. Okay? We have the Heisman Trophy winner and offensive coordinator, Ty Detmer. Woo! What went right Saturday? What changed suddenly? What does he think of Fresno State?
9: That's exciting.
1: Super Bowl champion Brian Billick. What does he think? BYU's got a BYU? chance
9: at two wins. What kind of chance does he give BYU to do oh, that? Boy. And
1: where does he have Fred Warner in terms of NFL draft stock? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. NFL draft pick. Potential for BYU. Plus, uh, Spencer's conversation with Yoli Manchilds after last night's exhibition win against Westminster. Not to be confused with Westminster. Yeah. I, by the that, way, I went
3: to Westminster. Yeah.
1: Did you really? Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah, I did. Not as bright. Cool. Sorry yeah. for your loss last night. Yeah. And then uh, Dalton Nixon it. will be in studio from the men's basketball team as well.
3: So. What a lineup.
1: Yeah, yeah. So let's
9: just reiterate that, okay? Yoli Childs walk-off interview. Brian Billick, Super Bowl champion coach of the NFL Network. Holy cow. Ty Detmer, huh? Heisman Trophy winner. Uh-huh. And Dalton Nixon of the men's basketball team. Wow. You're welcome.
3: You guys did it. Again, uh, a show you're not going to want to miss. It's only four minutes away, folks. Four minutes you can begin to just enjoy the the rich, nuggety center that is that exists
4: in BYU Sports Nation. How many bites does it take to get to that nougaty Center? 2. And how many uh how many plays or how many games does it take for BYU to get another win? 50 15. Yeah. Uh by the
3: way, what is a nougat?
4: Well, we're going to answer that
3: question tomorrow. Chew on that. Chew on that, chewy. Um great uh we've we've had a great show. We've learned a lot during the last um few hours. Really. We did a lot of work on men's health. And again, you can go back and find all of these interviews if you just look us up on iTunes or TuneIn or Stitcher, go to byuradio.org. But go back and – because we challenged each other to go get a real physical for Movember and uh, pretty much we all agreed to do it by July of 2018. That was Jeff's uh, take. But, Jeff, you should, Jeff, because you've been losing a lot of weight, and we've been worried about you lately. And then we realized it's just the Dodger loss. Hey, now to a hero story. An early morning crash on northbound Interstate 495 near Berlin, Massachusetts, sent one car into the median and caused another to catch fire. Police said the driver from the car in the median was able to drag the other driver to safety. Berlin police said when officers arrived, they found a 2006 Hyundai Elantra fully engulfed in flames and a Toyota Avalon at the edges of the tree at the bottom of the hill on the median. Holy cow. The operator from the car in the woods was able to rescue the operator from the rolled over other car and dragged her to safety across the highway prior to the vehicle becoming involved in flames. Fully involved, by the way. Uh, The guy, uh, Mark Taylor, is the hero, and he's the one that dragged that poor uh, driver out of her car, but in doing so, saved her life. So, Mark Taylor, you're the hero of the day, my friend. Thanks for being there and for uh, being willing to go out of your way. And that is the show. We'll continue the journey. That's why we do the show to help you be the good in the world. BYU Sports Nation.
6: It's up next.